Hey guys, this is Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, but what you are listening to right now is the Talking Rock Podcast. And this is a show I do with Joey Haney, who is, of course, heard on the Rock Strikes 10 podcast. Definitely subscribe to that. It's a great listen. And uh, yeah, so what we're doing here is before we gear up with all our new programming here on this brand new Talking Rock subscription RSS feed, we are going back and reposting all the stuff we did back in 2018 a lot of discussion that Joey and I had, a lot of interviews that I did. So it's all coming to you here on these last few episodes. And then we will start the uh, the current uh, discussion, the 2019 discussion soon. So stay tuned for that. And uh, seek Joey and I out on social media. We're on, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. And like and share the Talking Rock podcast. Okay, so here we go. Some 2018 content uh, includes discussions and interviews by Joey Haney and myself here on Talking Rock. Enjoy, guys. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Talking Rock podcast. Happy 2018. I wish all the listeners of this show the best in 2018. I hope it's a great year for each and every one of you. Joey is on the line with me, Joey Haney. How are you, Joey? I'm good, Mark. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and, and to your family as well. Thanks, man. What were you up to over the uh, the holiday? Uh, you know, same old stuff. I mean, I work retail, so work was pretty heavy. And, you know, okay. just trying to squeeze in time with the family and, and the wife and everything. And, you know, right. it's a balance. But, uh, you know, it, it was fun. It was, it was not too bad of a holiday. Cool. Good. Good. So we don't really have a specific topic on the uh on the table for today. We're kind of just catching up. It's been a while since we've done an episode. I know you were on our best of 2017 episode on Talking Metal, which you, if you guys haven't heard that, it's a really great episode, and Joey really delivers some great music from 2017 on that episode. And, and you, you as well. You had some oh, great... Oh, thanks, man. And, you know, on that episode, we tried to keep things more hard rock, heavy metal, you know, loud rock... But being that this is a Talking Rock podcast, when you look back on 2017, what were some of the like non-loud rock records that kind of stuck out to you, stuff that you like, you know, maybe didn't have distorted guitars in it? Sure. And, you know, some of these picks would definitely border on that. But I think at the same time, they'd be out of place on a Talking Metal, you know, roundtable. But the the things I really enjoy this year, I think the upper echelon of rock albums uh was definitely the Foo Fighters new album I have okay. to say like you know they're you know all eyes are always on them they're one of the few bands waving the rock flag in the mainstream you know as far as like the band that people pays attention to and the press pays attention to they get radio play still that kind of thing but man I and it's kind of one of those things with me personally like maybe every other album I like and this one's no exception I did not really enjoy the last album at all but this new one, Concrete and Gold, just really delivered. It's It was a step up. It, it's definitely in their top two or three best records ever. Cool. Well, I saw them on, on SNL uh, recently, a week or two ago, probably two weeks ago at this point. And the, the one song that they did, uh, I thought was really, really strong. However, I do notice this thing with them sometimes where, like, they tend to sound like the style of the song sounds like somebody else to me. I don't know. 
Like in, in the song, it's, had a real clutch vibe that's at least huh. what i heard in it um and maybe that was just in the live setting i don't know i don't even know what the song was called but it was good it was real good and they they did a great performance of it yeah i mean that's cool i, I think dave can get away with that because he always comes off as such a fan of things like you know there's a lot of rock stars that are just rock stars and you don't really know where they're coming from but dave's one of those guys that is always the first guy to give it up for other bands and, you know, it definitely shows in the music. I mean, even the, and I don't have it in front of me here. I forget the name of the song, but on the new album, there's a song that Taylor Hawkins sings and Paul McCartney plays drums on it. And Taylor sounds like Phil Linnett. I mean, on this track. So it's like, it sounds like a Lizzie song. It's, it's crazy, but wow. okay. there's another element that I liked about that new record. So, yeah. Right. Now, Taylor, do you remember he sang uh, a Dennis Wilson song? Did you ever hear that? Yeah, yeah he did it. The song. It's really good though. Yeah, I have the release that's on. There was a deluxe edition of Pacific Ocean Blue. Exactly. And it, it was a demo that Dennis never got to sing on. So he is, I know Taylor's a massive Dennis Wilson fan, and he's always championing him. So I thought it was definitely appropriate that he got to sing on that song. Right. But yeah, that's another thing that I love about him. Taylor's super cool as well. Great drummer, of course. And yes. to be a guy that comes in, it's like you're going to play Dave Grohl's parts initially, and then you're going to have to like ease into it. I think he pulled it off. Cool. Good. Give me another one. What other records in 2017 were were big ones for you? Um, it was a lot of like a lot of punk rock type albums for sure this year for me. Uh, Wildlife's out on your block. They're like a super duper young band from from that area that you're up in, and uh, they put out an album on Wicked Cool Records, which is Little Steven's label. But it's one of those things that you know there was a bit of a backlash on the Biters record, and I like the Biters record all right, but this album is a lot better and. You know, as luck would have it, Tuck from the Biters actually produced this wildlife record. So they got more of their old sound out of this one. So and it's a whole thing, but the wildlife record. And when you search them, it's one of those things you got to, it's spelled W-Y-L-D-L-I-F-E. Okay. But yeah, I saw them play live this year, one of the best live shows I saw. They're just uh, Killer Live, Killer on Wax, a band you should definitely check out, Wildlife, for sure. All right. All right. Very good. So we're into 2018 now, and you sent me a text earlier, and I also saw some people on Facebook mentioning this, that apparently the Van Halen website is offline or down. Yeah. Yeah. So It was this morning. I don't know if it is right now. Actually, if I'm doing this live on the show right now, I'm going to the website. And we're recording this, guys, on the 2nd of January. Yeah. Oh, there is. The website's back up again. Okay. But uh, there is literally nothing new on it. So, I mean, it even still has the live album imaging in the background. So for whatever reason, it was down this morning, but it led to massive speculation. That's that's another thing. We talked about this when we talked about Van Halen before, is that they're so mysterious that they can have their website go down for a couple hours and everybody's like, they're going to make an announcement because right. why wouldn't they? Yeah. But nothing has changed as of, as of okay. this uh, recording right now. But, of course, we're upon the 40th anniversary of the debut album. There's been a lot of different rumors. My favorite rumor, of course, is that Mike Anthony will be back and Wolfgang will open the tour and they're going to play the whole album top to bottom. But at this point, we'll see. But that's that's uh, that's what I wanted for Christmas this year. Right. We'll see. Yeah. And I do think if it gets to be March and we haven't heard anything like concrete about a 40th anniversary tour of that first Van Halen record, 
my guess is it's not happening. I think this is an announcement that's going to come soon, which I can see why why the website going down would send some people, you know, into a, a, a frenzy. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think you got to We will hear something soon because to book an arena tour. Yeah, you have to plan this out in advance. It's not something you can do last minute. I, I would say May or no, I would say April at the very yeah. latest. Probably, probably March though. If this yeah, is pl- happening. Plus, you got to get all those festival dates announced. Which you know, if it's going to be that massive, you know, of course the festivals are going to want a piece of this. Right. So I, I don't see them not doing that if they go all in for it. Right. Yep. Yep. Cool. So interesting. Uh, I hope it happens. I'd like to see Van Halen with Michael and Anthony, something I've never seen. I've never had the... I mean, I've seen it... Let me take that back. I've seen him with Sammy and Michael. I've never seen him with with Dave and Michael. I had tickets to see the 1984 tour at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. It was on a Wednesday night. My parents would not let me go, even though I bought a ticket. I bought a ticket without asking them. So, yeah, yeah. So... uh, that hurts. That hurts me right there, right? Yeah, right. I mean, right I was, the I was extremely young, you know, but still, it was. You <sighs> know, I was like 13, 14 years old, but still, yeah, uh, yeah it was uh, definitely a, a disappointment. Yeah. And, and I don't care how much that tour gets bashed in retrospect. They talk about how they played like nine songs or something and they just soloed all the time. But yeah. man, the magic and that stage, that stage you see in the Panama video, like who wouldn't want to see that? I've seen decent handheld footage of that. Yeah. And even that's magical. It's just yeah. like, oh, and, and of, I, and of course, that's the tour. According to this book, I read this Noel Monk book, uh, who is the manager of Van Halen. That's the tour that they basically fired Michael Anthony from the band. I mean, a lot of people don't realize this, that in that tour, Mike, they, they, they basically made him an employee of Van mm-hmm. Halen as opposed to being part of the the owners of the group and they he signed this paperwork in the middle of that tour that basically demoted him to a salaried musician because they felt that he did not deserve to be an equal to Dave and Eddie and Alex and wow. he signed it without even consulting a lawyer <laughs> he also when he signed that according to Noel Monk's book um, that came out last year. He also forfeited all his songwriting royalties and credit from 1984, which wow. originally was credited to four songwriters. And yeah. after he signed the paperwork, apparently it was revised to just be three songwriters on all those songs. Wow. Yeah, yeah I, I just started reading that book as well, actually. I haven't That's gotten to that book. part yet. But I remember reading in Sammy's book that they he signed similar paperwork during that last Sammy reunion tour, which, which also kept him out of a lot of different things. And he always just signs them apparently. And it's like, it's like they always talk about how nice of a guy Michael Anthony is. He might be a little too nice nice. for the, (laughs) for the music business. Yeah. Well, at least those guys, you know, Alex and, and brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Well, so what else is happening? What we were talking about some other stuff earlier today, what's going on? Yeah, well, as of today, the the Stray Cats announced at least a reunion show out in Vegas. They're playing a rockabilly festival, okay. and that's all I know right now. I mean, you know, there's decent demand for for this reunion. I mean, they've played sporadic reunion shows over the last couple of decades, but 
they've never really done that big tour, especially in the States. Right. They did a little bit of run in Europe because they were bigger in Europe. But, you know, I'm excited about that. I never, that's another band, you know, I never got to see the 84 Van Halen. I never got to see the Stray Cats either. I've seen Setzer a handful of times and he's always great, but definitely would love to see that old band. I'm a, I'm a Stray Cats fan. I don't know if you are, Mark. Mm, I'm all right. My mom had the cassette, you know, <laughs> they were all right. I never had anything against them, but I didn't really like them that much. I mean, I knew the two songs or whatever the hit singles were. I mean, sure. how much of a, de- of a demand is there for a Stray Cats reunion? Because I mean, I think I could play, like could play theaters. Really, yeah, I don't know. To me, it, it doesn't... I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, theaters for sure, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I love going to theaters, so, you know, I'm excited for it. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this was ever going to play arenas. They were never really an arena act. But, you know, that's... Uh, you know th- that kind of music. I don't. I don't know if I'd like seeing it in arenas anyway. So it needs to be more intimate. You know, more clubby or theatery. I know that's not a word. Right. No, so. I hear what you're saying. Definitely, <laughs> definitely cool. And what, there was one other thing we were talking about, right? Was it? Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, the best. Ro- yeah, best rock records of 2017, which we yeah. we were kind of talking about. Um, so what what themes do you have coming up on the Rock Strikes Ten podcast? Your podcast. Yeah, we we just finished up five shows in five days in a row to finish out the new year. I I said at the beginning of the year I was going to do a big 1997 retrospective. And it's one of those things I started at the beginning of the year planning it really heavy. And then I kind of fell off. Rock and Pod happened and all this other stuff. So I kind of was real time crunching it, like towards the end of the year. But I got them all out with the top 30 albums shows and a couple of odds and ends episodes. So I'm really proud of those. Go check those out. And then coming up here i got a two-parter on the best albums of 2017 coming out this week cool and that's all i have on the horizon right now what do you what do you got coming up on on your show on talking metal mark well we just uh, we just posted a jeff tate interview which blabbermouth like immediately picked up like literally hours <laughs> later and i got him talking about the three tremors thing you know like bruce dickinson had said on eddie trunk's show that oh, yeah. he didn't want to do it with jeff tate and rod smallwood was basically saying you have to do it with jeff tate and not dio and you know when i was interviewing jeff tate like I, I, I kind of clammed up. I didn't want to actually say that, oh, Bruce was implying he, that he didn't want to use you and he wanted to use Ronnie instead. And I, I don't know. So I kind of clammed up and I never actually, because Jeff didn't seem to know the, the controversy. Hmm. Um, hmm. But I still got him talking about it. And he said there was, you know, never anything more than just talk about it one night like at dinner. Whereas Bruce makes it sound like there was, you know, they were closer to actually doing it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so that was good. Um, and then another thing I got coming up, uh, well, two, two really big drummers are going to be on Talking Metal. One is Scott Travis, which I recorded back in, in December when I got invited to Epic Records in New York City to hear the new Judas Priest record, which I'm nice. very, very excited about. It's uh, just a monster of a record. I only heard it once, but it was uh, really blew me away. So I'm excited for that. So I, I have that just sitting sitting on my hard drive, and I'm waiting for the the publicist to tell me that I can post it because we talk in detail about songs on the record. We talk about you know 
the names of the songs, what they hmm. sound like, and and none of this stuff has been released except that little short sound sample of the title track at this point. So I'm I'm excited to talk about the actual songs in in public and post this Scott Travis interview hmm. on the Talking Metal podcast. Yeah, that, that should be great. They should they should uh, they should include a link to the Talking Metal episode that they're going to have you out the same day of the press release. Yeah, oh, they yeah. promote it. That would be great. I wish. You deserve it. Yeah, I wish. And then I one of my other favorite bands is Kiss, and I just got to interview their drummer a couple days ago. So I'll be posting that hopefully real soon. Wow, and, Eric Singer, huh? That's yeah, awesome. That's yeah, a great so, kid. Yeah. So we, you know, it's. A, Unfortunately, he was he called in through some like dial up computer number, not Skype. It was and the connection was not great. And and there's like dropouts that happen through the interview. So that that kind of bummed me out. The but it's definitely listenable and he talks for over an hour and we go into some deep details about Badlands. He talks about being fired from Badlands. Uh, he talks about getting the gig in Alice Cooper, which a friend of mine got him the gig with Alice Cooper, uh, unbeknownst to me. Doug Goldstein, a good friend of mine who once managed huh. Guns N' Roses, actually yeah. got, according to Eric Singer, and I, I, I called Doug right after I hung up with Eric, and I said, I said, uh, Eric just told me you got him the gig in, in Alice Cooper. And Doug was like, oh, yeah, and he just immediately started talking about something else. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And I've heard Doug on enough shows to where that sounds spot on. So he's yeah. he's he sounds like a, a hoot, man. Really. Yeah, yeah. He'll be he'll be back on Talking Metal soon too. Cool. He wants cool. to talk about what's going on. But yeah, the Eric Singer thing is good. He did not really give any details about any plans with Kiss, but made it sound like there was going to be a lot happening in 2018 with Kiss. He didn't really talk much about kiss plan specifically but he made it sound like there's going to be a lot going on for kiss in 2018 there are rumors starting to circulate that there could be a final kiss tour happening Mm. um in 2018 potentially 2019 but yeah he he made it sound like the way the way he said it was like oh kiss is like a a shark you just keep feeding it it keeps going and you know he said something about it being like a shark so he didn't hint that there were there was anything remotely like kiss being over soon Hmm. um and i did ask him about a new record i believe he said never say never so Hmm. uh so yeah it's a good interview it'll be posted probably in the next day or two on talkingrock.net so definitely check that out eric singer a kiss yeah pretty pretty he doesn't do a lot of interviews so i was psyched that we got him yeah, yeah, and he he always I, I like hearing his interviews whenever he does them. So I guess that's what makes him special. But you know, I, there's a little you know I'm even just uh, certain Kiss quote unquote fans hearing the name Eric Singer like yeah. brings a certain aspect to the conversation. But I think I figured out th- there's a lot of criticism about Kiss, and especially like I said, quote unquote fans. And one of the main gripes on Kiss is that they play the same set list pretty much every tour. And even as a super duper Kiss fan, uh, kind of an uh, apologetic Kiss fan at times, the last few tours that they've even come around to my town, they pretty much have played the same set list. I will definitely grant you that. But I think I have a really diplomatic way to solve that problem and still not be going into like, well, I'm not asking them to play The Elder at the same time or Carnival of Souls stuff. But what they could do, 
the thing that people don't realize is, yeah, Kiss doesn't have a lot of hit songs, but like hit singles, but they have released a lot of singles that were in the public conscious at one point or another. If you actually go and look up the list of songs, Kiss songs that were released as singles, you know, there's like 50 songs out there or something like that. Wow. So, so like, you know, what's a set list? Maybe 20 songs, maybe not even that. So they can play around with, they, they could literally take a list of all the singles they've ever put out their entire career, change the set list around to where they're playing just singles. And they would still make a lot of different types of kiss fans happy right. because then we talk about that. We talk about the set list cool. actually, cool. um, come to nice. think of it. And, uh, he does, uh, defend their, their choice of the songs that they play. And I believe he, says that Paul picks the set list again. Uh, I haven't listened back to the interview, so I'm kind of going by memory here, but I believe he says Paul picks the set list. And I believe he says Paul is exactly right with how he picks the set list. And he does talk about the kiss cruise and about how those are, you know, crazy mega kiss fans. And they, they, they want to hear the obscure stuff and that's why they do that there. But yeah. where in the general you know, regular concerts where they're playing, you know, Fort Wayne, Indiana or something that they, they do play just the songs for the more casual fans, because if they do do something too deep, people are scratching their heads, you know? Um, So I know, I think he definitely defends their set list in the interview. And I definitely understand that argument. I just, I think it's weird that like the last two or three kids shows I've been to, then they're not even playing heavens on fire. Like, you can play Heavens on Fire instead of Lick It Up and I think get away with it. Right. You know, see what I'm saying? You know, and then, like I said, I, I would I would say this to Eric or anybody else in the band. I mean, there's a lot of well-known songs in their catalog that they have been ignoring lately. You know, it's, yeah. I think it's weird. I think it's weird that they don't play Forever. Forever yeah. was a top. Another big, it was biggest a top, songs. Yeah, yeah, top 10 hit. And I thought it was cool that they busted out Hide Your Heart a couple of tours ago. But the fact that they don't play forever is even weird to me. They don't play Beth anymore, and I, some people hate those songs. But I, yeah, those, I don't like I don't like them doing Beth band. without without Peter Chris. I, I think that's weird. But I, just like I don't like them doing Shock Me without Ace. But that's just, <laughs> just me. Yeah, I understand that. But yeah, there's so many songs that are being ignored that were known songs. These are songs that have been on best ofs, and you know, so the casual fan just owns a best of, right? Yeah. So all they have to do is look at those releases, and they'll be able to like pick songs that people haven't heard like in 10 years or more, actually. I think that's, that could be a fun way to go for them just, just as a diplomatic, you know, you know, how do you do, I guess. Right. No, I hear you. I hear you. What, what tours are you looking forward to in 2018? Yeah, definitely on the rock aspect because there's not a lot of big metal tours announced for my neck of the woods besides priests. Of course, I'm going to try to go to that, but I'm, there's two random ones that I'm really excited about. One of them is that weird Al Yankovic tour. Oh, where he's, okay. he's he's just doing out speaking of set lists, he's doing strictly no parodies, all album tracks, no singles, and he's playing smaller places, hmm. you know, no costumes. It's just like an ultimate fanboy like tour. And like they're putting it all on the front end there. They're not saying, Come see Weird Out, you don't get any hits. It's like this is a limited appeal tour. Right. And the fact that he's doing that for, you know, a guy who's known for, you know, costume change every song i think that would be really fun to go to and i have enough of those records where i'm like i would know those songs and i think it would be a good time 
Yeah. Do you, do you think that that's going to be like a big bust or do you think he's actually going to have a lot of success with that? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would need to consult my brother who's a big fan of his. I, I, I don't, I don't have any of his records. I, gotcha. you know, I've never seen him in concert. My brother loves weird Al and has seen him play live and, yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't go because I wouldn't know any of the songs. You know what I mean? I gotcha. But, but yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's for a different kind of audience. And, and Fat and <laughs> yeah. Yoda and uh, I yeah. Lost on Jeopardy. I mean, yeah. you know, if I if he was playing those and somebody gave me free tickets and it was a easy cab ride from my house, I'd be there. You know, yeah. But uh, if, if they gave me free tickets to a show where it was going to be, you know, a bunch of deeper cuts... For Weird yeah. Al, I'm the casual fan. You know, I I, I, w- <laughs> I wouldn't be. I understand that. Yeah, I, I saw him in the theater near my house a couple of years ago for the first time ever, and I enjoyed the show. And the especially the older older songs like right. Eat It and I Lost on Jeopardy. He actually did a section in the middle of the show where they make an unplugged set, so it looked like you know Allison Chains unplugged. They were like sitting in a circle with acoustic guitars, right? And they're cool. doing like a medley, like oldies medley, and it was like Eat It and I Lost on Jeopardy. So tongue in cheek. Right, so right, right. kind of aspect, turning them into balance. But the yeah. the other tour I'm really excited about, which I've I've seen him two times already, but I always love going to see Dweezil Zappa. Uh, anybody that hasn't seen him definitely should do it. He, you know, there's that whole controversy between him and the rest of his family over the proper usage of the Frank Zappa stuff. Right. But he, you know, he's been doing it for so long, and. I, you know, I'm not there when it comes to, you know, family business. So I'm not going to comment on that. But what I do know is you don't get into the business of playing Frank Zappa music to make tons of money because it was always, you know, kind of a cult thing. Right. You know, you're, you're not going to get wealthy playing Frank Zappa music. I really think that when he went away all those years and studied his dad's catalog, like with the greatest of detail, I think he was doing it uh, as a part of pride, family legacy and stuff like that. And yeah, you can go out and make a couple of bucks playing it live, but I think he really is in it for the love. So I always like going to see Dweezil, and I always, you know, there's a lot of great moments at those shows. So anybody hasn't seen him, go see him, especially if you're a fan of guitar work and Zappa in general. I need to see him because I every time he comes through, I'm like, ah, I should be going to that, but I don't go. Uh, I saw Ike Willis once play, and he nice. played uh, Joe's Garage from start to finish. At oh. The- wetlands in new york city a while ago it had to be 15 20 years ago at this point but wow i'm jealous that's one of my favorite albums ever that's 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 awesome yeah (laughs) yeah from start to finish he played that and um it was with a really solid band which i think was like a zappa cover band or something that he took out um Hmm. i don't even think it was a tour i think it was just like they they played a few shows yeah yeah I, i i I was a, I liked Dweezil Zappa's first record a lot, Having a Bad Day, which is, yeah. I believe Frank produced that. And that was a great record. He was like 16 or 17 when he did that. And I always liked, uh, I remember the first time I, I think I saw him was when he was doing the, the solo in the, in the video for um, Don Johnson's song. Uh, yeah, Heartbeat. Heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. playing that green uh, Ivanez guitar or whatever, or Kramer. Yeah. <laughs> but his first record I thought was really good. Um, yeah. And and I've always been a big Frank Zappa fan. So it's uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't seen him. And you just gave uh, his show a great, great plug there. So I need to check out Dweezil Zappa. 
when he comes through Zappa. What is it? Zappa plays Zappa or Zappa on Zappa? Well, yeah, it used to be called that. And now it's just Weasel Zappa because he got uh, hit with a cease and desist from his from his own brother and sister. So right. we're at about thirty minutes right now, and that's where we like to kind of keep things with the Talking Rock podcast. Real casual episode this time. I do want to get back to doing some interviews and uh, you know hitting certain topics and discussions on the uh on the podcast but i I like the free form format too joey yeah yeah and uh, before we go you you didn't mention any of your favorite rock albums of the year you got a couple there Uh, oh well i not not i mean i've mentioned them all already i like uh the roger waters had a, a great record out and i really dug that I mean, as you know, the Night Flight Orchestra. I don't know. Yeah. You know those those yeah. do that kind of you know jump jump out as two of my favorites of the year for sure. Yeah. Well, I figured you should go on record in case we got any first timers out there. You know. Yeah. So yeah. yeah absolutely. 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 Um, I like your opinions, Mark. Oh, cool. Well, thank you. Thank you. I like yours, and I like your show, <laughs> Rock Strikes Ten. It's on oh, iTunes, yeah. guys. Subscribe to it. And where's the best place to get in touch with you on social media? Is it Facebook? Is it uh, Twitter? I'm definitely more of a Facebook guy than a Twitter guy, but that is one. Of, if I have a New Year's resolution, that's one of them. So I'm going to try to get more on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, Rock Strikes Ten. It just spell it all out. T E N. Uh, Rock Strikes Ten on Facebook. Best places to reach me. Uh, every episode of Rock Strikes Ten is on cnjradio.com. And there's three other podcasts that we host on there as well. So check them all out. And other than that, uh, subscribe and listen to Talking Metal and interact with them as well. Thank you. Yeah, and our website is finally up, talkingrock.net. Still taking just a few little things, but it's up. It's operational. It's running. There's a lot of content. Um, I've been out of work for a couple weeks, so I've really been just pushing content up there. When I say out of work, I'm working from home on the website but uh there's no income coming <laughs> so i i think that's going to change soon i'm going to have to figure out um how to keep all that content going so talkingrock.net that's a whole nother story but anyways talk, talkingrock.net is up and operational so definitely check that out and uh, yeah we'll sign off for now you can hit me up on facebook we're going to have a Great giveaway on the Eric Singer episode of Talking Metal. So definitely listen to it. I mean, this is a really, really good giveaway. Uh, it's a watch. So if you want to, if you want to win a, like a high end watch, we're going to be giving it away on the Eric Singer episode of Talking Metal, which will probably be episode seven eighteen or seven nineteen. So check that out, Joey. Thanks a lot, and uh, we will uh, we will talk again soon. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's always a pleasure.
Welcome to another edition of the Talking Rock Podcast. My name is Mark Striegel. I'm so glad you could uh, join us for this episode. Joey is not here on this episode. He's been pretty much my consistent co-host since we kind of rebranded Talking Rock. But we did have an episode where Emily Striegel joined us to talk about uh, the monkeys, right? Was that on this, the Talking Rock thing? Yeah, you interviewed somebody. Emily's here. Anyways, hello, Emily. Hey. (laughs) Yeah, remember I interviewed the person from the Zilch podcast in Nashville. Right. That's the only Talking Rock podcast I've done. Everything else has been Talking Metal, right? Yes. Yeah. Except. by the way, hi, Joey. Yeah, except for the super Joey. old version of Talking Rock, we had your band on it, on one of those, I think, um, the Minx. Are you serious? Yeah. I one have of no the, recollection. One of the really early. It may have even been called, see, Talking Rock was first called Alien Rock, then it was Talking Rock, then it was disappeared for a few years off of iTunes, and then it came back with a new like feed. An alien? Yeah, and, and that's where we are now. So No recollection of that. Who's our guest today, Emily? Tommy London and his guitarist, Matt Hogan. I had so much fun with these dudes. So you went into the city to meet up with these guys. And where did you hang out? Where did you do the interview? We went to Three of Cups. Right. And you and I have history at Three of Cups. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Everyone has a story from Three of Cups. I mean, that place has been there a long time at this point, right? It's just the quintessential kind of New York rock bar. Yes. And we actually... um, And a restaurant upstairs. Yes. And Tommy hooked it up so that we could go in before it was even open. So we were able to sit and hang out. and Cool. Have like the whole vibe of the club, but we had the whole place to ourselves. It was cool. And now Tommy played or plays with the Dirty Pearls, right? Where yeah. Martin and Marty was the drummer Both or is them. the drummer. What's, Marty, what's the status? Yeah. Do you find out what the status is? Yeah, we of? talked about it a little bit. And, okay. you know, I mean, I guess, I don't know if you call it a hiatus even, but they're all doing their own things right now. I mean, Marty has his solo um, act now where he's even singing. He's come back out from behind the drum kit. Yeah, Midnight. Midnight Crisis. Is yeah, that, you've yeah. had him on, yeah. or you at least I, played funny, one of his you, tracks. You mentioned him because, like, literally seconds ago, I just got a a Facebook alert that I was invited to. Uh, a well, midnight, he's doing Tommy's night at yeah, Arlene's Grocery. Wednesday at ten yeah. o'clock. Yeah, it's such a cool. small incestuous kind of circle, which I alluded to in the interview as well with Tommy that this rock circle in New York. It's like if you don't know the person, you know of them, and you right. have like like 85 to 100 mutual friends on Facebook, like typically. But I I seriously had so much fun doing this interview and cannot wait to hang out with with Tommy and Matt again. Cool. Yeah. Midnight Crisis. That's Marty's, Marty Ers. Is that how he pronounces his last name? Ers? You don't know. Okay. Uh, Marty's band, Marty was the drummer or is the drummer of Dirty Pearls. And now he is out in front singing with his band Midnight Crisis, and they are playing Tommy London's Night at Arlene's Grocery on February 28th. Five Tommy London's $5 Rock. Does that mean a $5 cover? Is that what that's in reference $5 cover, yeah. and it's the, great. always Jeez. the best night of music in New York City. Every time I go to one of these nights, Arlene's is the best. And you know they have Mule Kick play almost every time, and of course Mule Kick's drummer is... Frank Frere of Guns N' Roses, uh, the fourth biggest tour of all time, Guns N' Roses, this uh, this past tour. And 
And a really good friend of mine, a guy I just love and have loved for decades, Rob Bailey, plays with uh, Mule Kick. Uh, so much history with 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 that guy. He really, when I was a teenager, took me under his wing and, and really helped me learn some things on guitar. And, and just a real uh, great guy. Rob Bailey plays with Mule Kick with Frank. And as Emily said, they, they play a lot at Tommy London's night at Arlene's Grocery. So Tommy is a is he he's obviously a performer. He does and we're going to hear about that, but he's also a booker. He does everything. Okay. Right. And he's a marketing genius is one thing. The the interesting thing is this interview isn't that long, but we right. talked for probably 45 minutes before the interview started and like an hour after and like even then some because we walked he walked back to his apartment and I was going to see Jimmy Webb at his store I need more on on the Lower East Side so we spent a ton of time together that night and he is just multi-talented and all his ideas were so fresh and new and he's bright he's just sharp as a tack and he's multi he's really talented i hope everyone listens to the single because it's so good and i know we don't play music on this podcast we don't unfortunately but everyone has to go listen to the single because it's and i don't say this about everyone it's really really good it's excellent and we will have music posted though in the show notes for today's episode. So you go to talkingrock.net, go to the podcasting section, um, go to the Talking Rock podcast, you'll find this this uh, player embedded in a post along with some of his music. And you can you know listen to this interview there and, and then also listen to some of his, his music right on talkingrock.net uh, for, for this episode, the Tommy London episode of Talking Rock. So without further ado, why don't we get into your interview with Tommy London and Matt Hogan. We're here live at Three of Cups. All right, Talking Rock listeners, this is Emily Striegel coming at you from one of the quintessential rock bars in New York City, Three of Cups. And I'm here joined today by Tommy London. How are you, Tommy? I'm great. How are you? Really, really good. Glad to be here with you to talk about your new single. Yeah. Let's, let's hear a little bit about it. Uh, new single, Sugar Red, uh, from the upcoming album, Emotional Fuse, which we'll see when that's going to come out. And uh, Matt and I wrote the song together. Uh, it was produced with uh, John Fields and Matt, uh, who produced the single. And um, it's hot. Have you heard it yet? Man, I've heard this song, you guys. It's so good. That's part of the reason I needed to have you on, because... I heard it and I my eyes were bugging wide open. It's so good. But before I before I get into that, I want to introduce Matt Hogan then. Okay. So this is Matt Hogan. He is the guitarist. Hello. Hello, he says. Can we do the whole interview like that? <laughs> I wish I could. That'd be amazing. <laughs> You're having a laugh. <laughs> You're having a laugh. You're having a laugh. Yeah, we are. So you guys worked together on this and how long did it take you guys to record? Well, that's an interesting question. What do you think? I mean, we did a lot at, at Matt's studio, and then we took what, everything we did at Matt's studio and went to Minneapolis for like a month oh. to record. So that was at least a month in Minneapolis, and then... I, I mean... Right? It's not like 10 days, right? Yeah, well, well, well yeah, I guess so. Who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> Who's counting? We were into February of last year, we yeah, were in Minneapolis. Right. I, I think it was around there. Yeah, so I guess about three weeks, actually, we were there. Yeah. So... The production on this song is so slick and good, and I hear so many influences. Like, when I listen to it, I think it sounds very modern, and it sounds, it's got this amazing, like, edge and, like, it's slick production, but then I hear these, like, great 80s throwbacks. Like, right. I hear Loverboy, I hear Foreigner, I hear David Lee Roth in there. That's so what, tell me a little bit about, like, 
the writing process? Did you guys write together, and, and what are some of your influences? Yeah, I think when we were, well, when, right, we, we wrote all the songs together, Matt and I. But, um, but the thing was, we, I think our influences are for a lot of the bands you mentioned, and we were going for a modern sound with a, re- with a retro feel. And I yeah. feel that we, at least the song we've put out so far, I think everyone has heard, I feel that we definitely nailed that. Um, I, that's the response I'm getting from everyone too. I mean, you can rock, you can rock out to it. A guy can, a guy can shake his fist to it, and a girl can shake his, shake her ass to it. And that was the whole, you know, purpose. We were going for that Billy Idol type of rock yes. and roll kind of mentality, and, and I know we, I'm pretty confident we achieved it with that song. Yeah. And we can't wait for everyone to hear the rest of the record. And, you uh, did. I definitely hear the Idol influence as well. Yeah, that just that, that pulse, yeah. Yeah. you know. So. Yeah. Um, so th- talk about the producer and the, did you pr- help produce it or did you, you said you had someone else? What no, was I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't involved with the producing part. That was Matt Hogan. And then Matt, we, we Matt produced the record here in New York. And then we went to work with another producer as well, who was John Fields and they worked together on, on the, on the album as a whole. So, um, and it was the chemistry between all of us was, was fantastic. And it, you could feel it when we were recording and it, I think it comes with the energy came across in the songs and. It was really, it was, it, was, it was awesome. We were out there all together like that. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Very cool. So you said there, you have more songs. You have an album that might up, be out eventually. So tell me a little <laughs> yeah. bit about that. One of these days we're going to put this thing out. You know what it is, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, that's the thing. We, we live, it's like the 50s again, where it's about an A side and a B side. Yes. Yes. Uh, so the original intention was to put out a song and, and either make it an EP or an album. And that, that plan is still possibility yeah and but now we're thinking that maybe it's best just to put out a song video see how far yes. you can take it go to the next song mm-hmm. same formula and then eventually when when you run out of bullets you just give away the gun you know what I mean? yes That's literally what we were trying to do like I, you know I just because it went idea. back to that yeah you know because you know what it is you i think every artist you're so proud of all of them yeah and yeah. In this day and age, you put it all out, that's great. And there'll be people that'll take all of them. But there'll be somebody down the road going, I didn't even, you know, I downloaded those couple songs. I didn't even hear that one. Yeah. So you want to give them all a fair, yeah. you know. I love this concept. Not enough people are doing that. I mean, I, that's a really, really cool idea. Well, I, I think with the atten- and, and the attention spans of everyone. No one so has atten- attention. No What'd you say? Attention. <laughs> there isn't. A, there really isn't. And you know what? I'm I'm notorious for this. Like yeah. I love watching movies. Yeah. And when I'm at home watching a movie now, I'm looking at my phone. I'm looking at my laptop. And yeah. that's not who I used to be. Yeah, yeah. And it's the world we live in now. Yeah. And so, so I bad. I feel that if we put out the album with this song right away, that it would be like, oh, we already heard that, bro. Yeah. You know. And now it's like, nah, just keep something fresh and new all the time. And yeah. Keep them wanting more. I mean, that's like, that's the, my it's philosophy also great in life. That, that artists have ideas, which who knows? We don't know what we'd be like. I do like the idea people put an extra track. I was saying this is only if you buy the album. That's a great idea. Yeah. You know, some bands do that and artists and stuff. But yeah, it's for that reason. It's for, you know, so they get the full, each show gets a full chance. Yeah. You know? Love it. So, Tommy, you mentioned video, and you've got my attention there with the video idea. Are you, right. Do you already have some thoughts in mind about what you're going to do here? And have you done a video before? <laughs> well, I've done a video with the Pearls before, with the Dirty yeah. Pearls. Yeah, we did a few of Tell those. us about Dirty Pearls, too. I need, you, I need the intro, because that was the last project that you and Matt worked on together. Yeah. Yeah, so we, were, we did, had the Dirty Pearls. Uh, I had that for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, Matt, Matt was like Mach 3 in the Pearls. He joined as well a few years back. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of great things. And, you know, Marty, uh, Marty yeah. E., the drummer, um, this is his house. He's always hanging here at Three of Cups. Um, 
Yeah, and, and, and the Dirty Pearls are great. I'm not saying that they're done. Yeah. It's kind of like on the back burner. Okay. Uh, uh, Matt and I had written a bunch of these songs that we felt weren't Dirty Pearl-esque, though maybe some people could argue that when they hear the album, but, you know. But uh, a majority, it wasn't a Dirty Pearls yeah. type of stuff we were writing. Yeah. And no, so, so Matt and I were talking, you know, about venturing out, and um, it just felt right. And um, and, and 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 other guys in the band were doing other projects too, so it was um, the timing was definitely perfect to, to venture out and try something else. And we'll see where this goes, and then we'll see about bringing the pearls back or not. It all depends on you know what what routes everyone takes in their lives musically, and, and see if they lead back to there. So I'm not saying it's done, but I'm not saying that it's, you know it's not. Yeah. So. What about a double bill with Tommy London and and the pearls? <laughs> That's a lot of work. <laughs> we're gonna wear you down, boy. So um, you did a video with the Dirty Pearls, yeah. and you're working, thinking of working on one for the solo uh, so for Sugar Red. Yeah, so I've already started. Uh, already st- we already actually already filmed it, so I'm going to ah. edit it next week. Fantastic. Yeah, so it'll be hot. And the theme, the theme is like uh, <laughs> that's funny. The theme. Uh, so the theme. I don't know if you noticed online is that this thing has actually taken off with with the logo being the lips. Yes. So if anyone hasn't seen the logo for the Sugar Red is is a uh, it's a pair of lips that says Sugar Red. Where are my lips? I got Where in my pocket. Go <laughs> well, trust me, he's got them. Boom. Boom. There we go. Got the um, so. so what's what's interesting about that is I made the stickers up, and I, and uh, people put them in front of their faces like it was their lips, and it's taken off online where I have people writing me from all over the world for these stickers, and I I, I shit you not. Germany, yeah. Russia, China, Texas, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, like oh everywhere they want the stickers. So That's cool. It, you were the king of marketing, dude. Oh, you know that. I said this to you before. <laughs> Take that. Oh, <laughs> you, you know you have a good mind for this. I've said this to you before because also you have your phrase, which is... Oh, who the fuck is Tommy London? <laughs> yeah. I can't take full credit for that. You know where I actually got that? Where? Is that picture right on the wall right there where Keith Richards is wearing a shirt oh, that yeah, says, Who yeah, the yeah, fuck yeah. is Mick Jagger? Yes. So, uh, I it's always, your thing now, though. It's <laughs> mine now. It became mine. I had a roommate of mine, uh, Jason Caddick, who was in a band called Star Killer and currently in a band Pansy. Oh, yeah. yeah, and Jason and I lived together for a long time. And he used to come in and we used to make jokes about the Mick Jagger yeah, shirt, yeah, uh, the Keith Richards shirt, I should say, with the Who the fuck is Mick Jagger. <laughs> and he'd be like, Yo, he goes, I'm going to wear a shirt that says, Who the fuck is Tommy London? <laughs> And I'd be like, dude, that'd be hysterical. So and he goes, you should make shirts like that. I go, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And then he showed up at one of my gigs wearing, he made his oh, own shirt. Who the fuck God. is Tommy London? Jumped on stage and sang at me that night. Oh, we were in L.A. when this happened. And everybody saw the pictures and wanted the shirt. So, I was like, all right. So I just started making like the, the memes online for fun to see if anybody really gave a shit, you know. Amazing. And the response was huge. And then I made the shirts and it just became a thing. It's so funny. I walked down the street. I swear to you. I swear. At least once or twice a day, someone shouts out, Hey, who the fuck is Tommy London? They even say it to my dad. Hey, who the fuck is Tommy London's dad? He's like, oh, I don't even know these people. Yeah. But it works. That's amazing. That's so, funny. That's so cool. It was so. a good way to build the brand going solo. It was, like, it was almost like, and it wasn't meant to be that way. It was almost like the subconscious like, just steered me that way. It's yeah. kind of funny. Love it. I want to talk a little bit about where you guys, because here's the deal. We have kind of run in the same circle for many years. Like, I've been in New York City since 98, all right? So, and I moved to Joy-Z, like, when I had started having babies. But 
I mean, we've kind of been in each other's circles for a while, and we know a lot of mutual people, but I didn't, like, bond with you guys until we started talking about David Lee Roth one night. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it. No, that does it for me. Like, you're my friend. So funny. We're friends forever? No, we're friends forever. Whether or not you want to be my friend forever. Mm -hmm. If you love DLR as much as I think Uh, you guys do. Yes, of course. (laughs) Huge influence. Yeah. So who else are you into? Tell me about like some of your earliest musical experiences, what you were into. I also want to talk about the monkeys, but first tell me <laughs> tell me like who you're into and who you were into as a kid and some concerts memories. Well, when I was a child, my father always played 50s, 60s music, and I think that where that that's where that influence for me comes yes. from, from even just look-wise to, to sound. Um, even writing-wise, a lot of those songs are written in a 145 format. If you yeah. like, I don't know if anybody knows music that way, but the chord progressions. And I remember early on when I would write songs, they'd be similar yeah. to that. And I know that's definitely where that influenced them from. And then from there, you know, my father would play Beatles and Stones, and that's when I ventured out from just the one-hit yeah. wonder 50s guys. You know, like my, nice. my father would play. Um, is this the pompadour? pompadour? Is this the pompadour? Stuff? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, well, I, wear, I have a pompadour now, but I've always wanted a pompadour. <laughs> and I had a friend of mine who always said to me that I needed a pompadour. And you know what it was? I was just too lazy to do any of this shit with my hair, man. I'm gonna be honest with you. I just I had like a Sid Vicious hair. It's just ah, just do like just put your fingers still walk out the yeah, door. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that, that that was definitely where the, a lot of those influences came from. Yeah. And then as I got older, you know, uh, loving Aerosmith and yeah. uh, Motley Crue, I love all just those big arena rock bands. Yeah. That was always my thing. Yeah. I, I, I think I fell in love with the show and the melody mm-hmm. and um, uh, their attitude. And, uh, you know, and then from there, you know, it's kind of it's funny. Ramones, of course, uh, Kiss. You know that they they fit that bill, uh, and but the the band of of all of them was always Van Halen, uh, was always my favorite. Uh, I was too young to see them with Dave, so I, I only got to see the Sammy era. Yeah. But I've, I was always in love with the Dave era, and I think it was partially because of his showman ability, and he had that vaudeville about him, which I've, I love vaudeville, right. and I love the Abbott and Costello jokes, and I love all that stuff that I was raised upon with my father, yeah. that when I got attached to a rock band who this guy brought that kind of thing to, it was like this Rat Packy lead singer guy singing with a rock band, I was sold, you yeah. know, and, and that was it. Yeah. I think that is with DLR. That's literally, I, like, Tommy and I actually had the same complete influences because that's yeah. why because we also we grew up very similar yeah. you know our parents from the same Where generation you, you know uh i'm from here in new york, from new york. yeah right. I, I was born in queens and then i was raised oh, outside of philly all right yeah. but like same kind of thing i grew up you know 50s music everly brothers nice. and stuff like that and uh yeah it was the same exactly the same kind of thing like i was too young for van halen for like the real yeah. era of van halen yeah but then like i turned on to him you know yeah. whoever mtv was playing at the time you know do you remember your first concert oh boy you know what i my first like big arena yeah. concert was poison and warrant yes <laughs> yeah that's so funny. do you remember tommy mine was van halen with sammy hagar oh nice yeah was that like an ou812 yeah, or something 812. yeah i never saw sammy uh, van halen yeah they were fantastic they're actually i gotta be honest like the way i am more so now is like i can see what the older i got i could see the songwriting and so yeah. now I find myself, you know, because I, that's what I really grew up on. Yeah. It was the David Lee Ross solo, and then it was the Sammy. Are you serious? You're going to go Sammy Van Halen over DLR Van Halen? You, you want to know something. It's very interesting. Oh. I have the Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, oh, he went, yeah. because, um, he went there. It's the last time I work with Matt Hogan. I got to leave. <laughs> Tommy has left the building. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, yeah, no, as far as, like, the writing, it's weird. 
Yeah. This is our headline. This is our blabbermouth headline right now. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. no, I mean, give me, you know, of course, I love, yeah. you know, it's old David Lee Roth and Bennett. But, but yeah, for me, I mean, like, the reality of what I, I grew up on. That. Yeah. Because for me, it was the David Lee Roth Eat Him and Smile. That yeah. was the most colorful yeah. thing. I remember as a kid, and it wasn't when it first came out. It was probably a couple years after it was on MTV. Yeah. But I remember not uh, being my mom coming into the room and going to turn that off yeah. because she saw in the Yankee Rose video, David <laughs> Roth was shaking his ass. And my mother must have walked in right at that moment when he's doing this. He's shaking it. Yeah. I'll never forget that. And I remember I was so bummed. But my mother went and found that CD in the store. And I guess I got Thanks it that well. year. Yeah. So it was kind of cool that she, like, she knew enough that yeah. my kids aren't watching it. But she made sure to say who it was. <laughs> this guy's a big Steve Vai fan. Yeah. That oh, Steve Vai. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because of that, because of that whole, yeah. that whole band, yeah. you know. And I see it in his playing, though. He's got that Steve Vai influence yeah. in him when he plays. Oh, my God. I, loved, yeah. I mean, I loved, like, a lot of things about him as far as, like, his discipline and his career. Yeah. Too. Like, I do you do much shredding? Career. What's that? Shredding. Do you do much shredding, or are you kind of, you're more like the I'm technique really and just, you like. No, it's really, you know, when you're a kid, it's about that, yeah. you know. But, yeah. like, when you get older, it's like, I'm glad I worked on that so I yeah. can just write any, mel- you know, I can, exactly. if I feel that and made a melody. <laughs> and that's what we kind of, like, the whole record's kind of like that. Like, everything, there's no, I tried anyway, not to do, like, everything, even yeah. the solo sections are just melody. Even it's, if it's, it's, red, it's just an instrumental melody part. So it's, it's too late to put in like a shred, shreddy kind of solo for me. <laughs> actually, there's a few, there is actually a couple songs on the record. Uh, yeah, no, there's definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, tell me, where can we see you and where can we hear you? Give me the whole spiel. Well, actually, it's funny you say that. Uh, you can see us right now if you were here at Three of Cups, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> but, uh, Come on down. But uh, yeah, our next show, actually, we're working on the shows now for like a couple spring dates, for a lot of spring dates. Nice. Um, we're, you know, be all. East Coast, we're doing a lot of East Coast, and we're hoping to get out to LA as well. But uh, we should know that in the next week or two, um, as we as we record this podcast. That's what we're working on now cool. is the shows. Next single, are you like thinking like a month, two months from now? Are you going to spread them out for us? Yeah, I'm thinking summer. So summer. we have we have one particular song we've been talking about that is definitely the summer song. Oh it's man, it's called Boom Boom Boom. So. Oh. We're, Boom, boom, boom. That's boom, perfect. Boom, boom. But I have to admit, song. Sugar Red, I want to get in the Corvette, the convertible Corvette. And put yeah. the, that's a summer song to me, yeah, man. summer song, too. You're right. So I can't wait to hear the real summer song. Stay back. Nice. We're not going to lie. and We love every minute of this. So many Van Halen references on this. I'm sorry. And we're, you know, we joked around. We were right. I'm like, and we looked at each other like, who cares? It's awesome. Yeah. We oh, were so happy about it. You know? Oh, the little, the little spoken word. still hot for our teacher. <laughs> I love it. No, the little spoken word section, it, yeah. and it was so DLR. Yeah, just like really. loving it. Our buddies who heard it, you know, before we released, yes. and they look. But the greatest thing about it, if you notice, they go, absolutely. Of yeah. course they did. Yeah. And we look at it like proud parents yeah. like we're but like, it's still you it, yeah. yeah it's right. still you it's, it's, it's still yeah. yours like yeah. i see i hear these influence that's what i love right. so much it about it the song yeah i mean there's like three things it's like it's very modern and fresh sounding and good sounding has the throwback stuff that was like near and dear to my heart and the production is just insane yeah, like i can't say enough good. about that i'm a real i'm a real stickler for you know good right. well-produced music <laughs> because a lot of people nowadays just throw it out there you know did it on their computer and right it just well the, well the one thing i mean i remember tommy and i talking about it so much it's like that it doesn't matter what we do right now it's going to be rock that's that's who we are yeah. so yeah. why fight that but at the same token 
in a weird way, trying to write a rock record for someone who doesn't listen to rock. Right. And just, you know, try to write it for the girls who are going, I don't know anything about who the bands are talking about. Yeah. Right. But I heard the song on the radio when I was getting dressed to go out and meet my girlfriends. And I liked the song. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I grew up, you know what I mean? That's what I grew up on, seeing people in the club or anything and being like, they just... It's just it's just make party music and fun. Yeah. So is rock dead though? Is I, I had this conversation with a friend the other day, and they're like, "Rock is dead. It's dead you know as a doornail." It, you know, it's interesting. It isn't. It isn't. <clears throat> and I'll tell you why. Because I saw a post recently from Nikki Six that I found very interesting, and he posted on Twitter, or Instagram, one of the same shit, I guess. Right. He said he noticed at the Grammys how they don't show any. Uh, awards for rock in any kind of genre of rock break it down i don't care if it's hard rock to the heaviest metal of rock and he goes they don't show those awards on tv they give them away but they don't show it on tv and um he was saying he doesn't understand how a genre of music that sells out all their festivals and they sell out the festivals he's right he goes they have such a huge underground following everything everything with rock does sell and does it but it's not commercially projected that way anymore. Yeah. And if the Recording Academy was wanted it to come back, because they always say they do, yeah. they always go, oh, rock's on the rise. We want rock to come back. And if they really felt that way, then they would broadcast it on television. Yeah. Even one award. Uh, and, and I guess the problem, too, is whenever they – and I love the Foo Fighters, and I love Green Day. Yeah. Those are two bands yeah. of mine who are, are an influence to yeah. me. And whenever they have these award shows, those are the two bands they go to yeah. because there aren't any other bands yeah. – uh, well, there are other bands, I should say, yeah. but that aren't as commercially viable as those two at, right now. And Truly. instead of them trying to break an act to get to that point or to be that band, um, well, without you know, then what do they expect? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, is rock dead? I mean, I guess in a uh, to the kid walking down the street who's like you know knows nothing else but what they hear on the radio, yeah. then I have to say yes. yes. Uh, if it's to somebody who looks for it and is an enthusiast of rock music, yeah. uh, and then I'd have to say no. So I guess it depends on who you ask that question to, you know. Man, you know, that's also, a good answer. Know, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, nowadays it's like you put guitar on it and they consider it. You know, it's like I think what's a good thing actually is that the whole country Nashville angle, because yeah. because however they brand it, they might say, well, this is like country, but it's like it's not. Yeah. You know, you listen to what's it's like. And that's okay. It's like, hey, whatever genre you think I'm going to get this song out there, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? But listen to, I mean, where is the distorted rock guitar? Mm-hmm. It's in country right now. Yeah. Go listen to that. Yes. I listen, I'm like, that's more, yes. uh, you know, dirt in the amplifiers yeah. than I use. Who is, there's some dude that was at the Grammys who's like a big deal right now who's like a country dude, but I can't think of his name. But same thing. Like, yeah, I was listening to his stuff and I was like, this is rock. Is his name Chris Stapleton? Is yes. that his? Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. on SNL too. He's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. But you know what else? They consider... I'm not knocking this band. I don't consider them a rock band. It, yeah. People consider Maroon 5 a rock band. Yeah. That's not a rock band. I'm not dissing these guys what they do. Yeah. They're a pop act, yeah. and they're good at it, yeah. but they're not a rock band. But that yeah. just shows you that no one even knows where to even put who, under that, that headline. They don't know, or they're trying to find an excuse. Oh, oh they're a rock band. Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah. You know? Totally. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled about the new single, and I can't wait to hear more. And where can we can, – we can get the single on iTunes, and you can hear it on Spotify. Where else? It's everywhere you go to find music. So, yeah, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, um, My House. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, everywhere. Everywhere you can find digital music, it's available. Awesome. Well, I had so much fun talking with you guys today. Thanks for coming on Talk, Talking Rock. <laughs> we'll have you guys back on again uh, 
soon. Yeah, I would love to. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thank cool. you. Great. Thanks, guys. But you're a huge Monkees fan, too? Oh, yeah. We never got to talk about the Monkees. What you just heard was Emily Striegel's interview with Tommy London and Matt Hogan, recorded recently in New York City. And uh, great stuff, Emily. Thanks for sharing that with us. And we, we really want to recommend that everyone go listen to Tommy London's stuff. If you're a fan of just the classic rock sounds... And, I mean, it's and, like, and not classic I, rock like Bad Company. I'm talking about like... He likes Billy Idol. Yeah, I was going to say Billy hear, Idol. I yeah. was going to say, you know, even bands like Van Halen or Foreigner, sure. stuff like that. Oh my I, God, I we, talked, that. we talked about David Lee Roth for like an hour straight. We talked about the Monkees. He's, he's influenced by so many... He's influenced by, you know, like Motown and early, like the, you know, the doo-wop early stuff. I mean, he's influenced by everything and you can hear it in his music. He's very bright. Cool. Great stuff. And again, thanks for, for joining us here on this episode of Talking Rock. Go to TalkingRock.net to use our Amazon links. That helps us keep the lights on here, guys. And uh, if you live in the United States, Canada, or the UK, we have Amazon links for you. Just find the uh, the specific link for your country on, on TalkingRock.net. It's fairly simple. Go to the support section or in just about every blog post on the site, we we have the links to the different Amazon stores, United States, United Kingdom, and Canada. Please use those. Also, we have a Patreon page, which is really picking up. And I, I got to thank uh, mostly Talking Metal listeners for supporting us there. Just go to Patreon and search Mark Striegel or search Talking Metal or Talking Rock. You'll find our page there. You can make a monthly pledge. You don't have to worry about going to PayPal and doing it each month. It'll automatically pull from your credit card or your your PayPal account and deposit it into my PayPal account, which is great. So (laughs) thank you for that. And thank you. I I seriously don't take anyone, uh, anyone's support for granted. I hear about every single person. (laughs) Yeah. And you're all great, great dudes. Um, So thanks, guys. And that'll end today's show. Big thanks to Tommy and Matt. Tommy and Matt, love you dudes. We're going to see you soon again. And please check out their music on Spotify. What, what would you do if you went to Spotify? Just search Tommy London. Tommy London, it's there. Yeah. Okay. Or iTunes for that matter. Or use our Amazon links and go buy it on Amazon. Cool. We'll talk to you next time, guys. Thanks for joining us on Talking Rock.
Welcome to another edition of the Talking Rock Podcast, a very special edition because we have a legendary performer and songwriter on with us today, David Freiberg of the Jefferson Starship. How are you, David? I'm fine. Thank you, man. Man, it's it's really an honor to talk with you. I mean, you have such an amazing history, and I want to get into some of that with you. But before we... Yeah, we, a little long enough to get a good history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know if we'll be able to cover it all of it, but I, I specifically want to talk to you about that late 70s, early 80s uh, era of, of Jefferson Starship. But before we get into that, can you give us an update okay. on what is currently happening with Jefferson Starship? Okay, well, we're currently playing with, let's see, there's myself, and Donnie Baldwin, who played with the band in, starting in the 80s. And actually, he, he played in Starship when, when they dropped the Jefferson, right. unlike me. Yep. <laughs> and um, so he built the city. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't much of a city builder, I guess. Anyway, so... And then, um, um, and then we have the fantastic Kathy Richardson, who's singing, who's singing the the female leads, sure. <laughs> and she's just great singer. She's been, let's see, it'll, I guess she's been singing with us for ten years. Come March, cool. next month, cool. And um, and then we have Chris Smith, who was on keyboards. And he has been playing in, with Jefferson Starship and when Paul since 1998. Wow, wow! So yeah. that's like 20 years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time time goes by quick for time sure. Time do go by. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you you started. And, uh, and oh, go also, ahead. And then we have the uh, let's see. Jude Gold's been with Jude Gold has been playing lead guitar uh, since like oh about six years now, I believe. Cool, and and you guys are you, doing gigs. Is that is that it? Is there more people you want to mention? No, that's that's all we're doing right now. That's all we have. And and you're right out now, five five guys. Yep. <laughs> right on. You do gigs, and you're out keeping the Star, Jefferson Starship name alive and the music alive. Are are you yeah, actively true. doing new music? Actually, now that you bring it up, we are we are starting to work on. We have a bunch of of stuff that we've been been working on every now and then we'll get together if we're all in the same if we're all in the same place with some time off and like a couple of t- we've had a couple of sessions at my studio at home and we've got I don't know about seven or eight tunes going that that we'd like to work on and I think we might bring bring some of them out and I think we might do them one at a time since that seems to be the way to do it these days anyway <laughs> right, so you just release them like digital downloads straight to iTunes and stuff like that. Well, I don't know. We haven't figured that one quite out, out quite yet. Yeah, but that seems to be a, a one way to do it. And Definitely. but we'd like to get them out, and it seems like and one of them, one of them, we really like to get going. And I, I don't think I can talk about it quite yet, but it, it's really cool. So awesome. And you know, we kind of call ourselves we're carrying the fire right now this that carry the fire do the carry the fire tour okay. which is in honor of in honor of our, our late our late uh leader uh Paul Kantner who passed away just about 2 years ago now right of course now 
David, as far as the new music goes, stylistically, what could you compare it to? Obviously, Jefferson Starship, I mean, going way back to the Jefferson Airplane days, had one sound. There was a different style in the in the 70s and 80s. And Starship, of course, very more poppy sound. I know you weren't involved with that. But where where stylistically, as far as the music goes, is this new stuff you're working on? It's hard to pin that one down, but I'd say I'd I'd say it'd be recognizable. I don't think it's very. I, it. I think it would it would it would kind of sound contemporary in a way. Okay. Cool. But but it's kind. Of, I I don't know. It, it's songs that we put together by just starting to jam together, and things things would coalesce because, I mean. The, the the five of us have been playing together. I mean, the, the exact five of us have been playing together like for six years. And if you take Jude away, then you know, then it's then we've been playing together for ten years. And if you, Donnie and I have been playing together for a long time, right? So, so 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 we we kind of are good at listening to each other and 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 acting as one but we really we really uh enjoy playing together which is the only reason that we're still doing it right on it's because <laughs> because it's just too much fun to stop very cool i mean so that's that's generally the story cool cool and you mentioned so, i mean i i don't know i the the one we're working on almost, almost sounds a little pink floydish to me at, at times oh, cool but i i don't know we haven't quite got it done yet so i can't really tell you where it's where it's going to really end up but it could go that way <laughs> excellent well that sounds exciting keep us posted on on new music from the jefferson starship we definitely want to hear that and you mentioned the the, the great late paul cantor earlier where did you guys cantor, first yeah. cantor where did you guys first meet I met Paul in San Jose while I was still a folk singer, like about 1963, I believe. Early 1963. So this if is not late 1962. It's hard for me to differentiate there because it's just one long timeline for me. But but uh, I, I was I was I was uh, doing a folk act with a with a with a girl called and we called the act David and Michaela and. And we played in San Jose, and I met Paul, and we had several things that that we have in common, like we like to jam and pick guitars and banjos and stuff. And I and ended up uh, whenever I played in San Jose, I ended up staying at his place, and we stay up all night smoking dope and picking and singing. Nice. And then we tried actually after I after that stopped happening, we we tried to become a folk act ourselves down and we went moved to LA and tried to do something like that. But I mean, it wasn't going to happen because that was 1960. It was almost 1964, 63, I guess it was. So no, it was 64. And, uh, you know, you weren't, you weren't going to be a folk singer anymore. <laughs> after, after you've heard the Beatles, what are you going to do? Oh, right, right. <laughs> and so, uh, and so through through various shenanigans, we, we Paul ended up in Jefferson Airplane, and I ended up starting uh, getting together with the guys and starting uh, Quicksilver Messenger Service. Right. But we were still close friends all the way through that. So I mean, you know, Paul was Paul was my 
probably closest friend I old closest and oldest friend I've ever I was I had, yeah. And at some point he brings you into into Jefferson airplane. How did that all played out? Well, well I, I left I left Jefferson Starship I mean I left Quicksilver Messenger Service because I and with with there were some there were some changes. Quicksilver always changed because you, it, it's like I mean Quicksilver is mercury, right? If you ever try to hold mercury in your hand, which you should because it's poisonous, but right, right. it'll slip through your fingers. <laughs> yeah. so you can't hold on to it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so I, and I I wasn't doing anything, so I said, and I so I just left and said, you know, you guys, you have me, you have me being a B3 organ player. And so, and that's not really what I really do extremely well. I can fake it, but why don't you get a real organ player and and I'll go find something else to do. (laughs) Right. Okay. And so, so I left and I didn't, and I helped, I was helping Mickey Hart from the Grateful Dead, the, the drummer. Sure. Uh, sure. Finish his solo album. And I brought Paul and Grace in to to sing a song that I was singing on his album and Marty had just left the Jefferson airplane and they liked how we sounded together I suppose and so he said do I do you want do I want to come and um, replace Marty Ballin and and uh, sing the, sing all the harmonies that Paul always liked to have cuz he was a big three-part harmony guy and I said of course sign me up and so that's how that's how that happened. Right. So you played Monterey Pop with Quicksilver. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. What one are, of the best gigs that there ever was, I think. <laughs> for Quicksilver, Monterey Pop was one of the best gigs. For anybody that was playing there, I would tell yeah. you that was one of the best gigs they ever played. <laughs> Good yeah. God, what those people that played? <laughs> Had you seen Otis Redding? Jimi Hendrix, Mm-mm. Otis Redding, and Jimi Hendrix, and the Who. Good Lord! <laughs> so, let's jump forward quite a bit to the okay. the late seventies, and you know okay. the the song Jane, which obviously you were enormous part of off the Freedom at Point Zero record. To me, uh-huh. that that song, it had, you know. The the hippie sounds of say the Jefferson Airplane were f- kind of far behind, left behind at this point. I mean that song to me was a really hard rock song, um, and it yeah. did extremely well. And there was a song that you wrote was was I mean in Jefferson Starship at that point I wouldn't call them a hard rock band, but but it, to me the song Jane definitely was. Was it? How did you? bring this song to the band and how receptive were they? I did to not this bring song? it. I did not bring it as a hard rock song. You did not. I had fin- I, my friend Jim McPherson and I had this, had the song finished and I was, I was coming on as kind of like an old, I was thinking of it to be recorded kind of like a throwback to an old Rolling Stone song. Okay. Oh, something like Ruby Tuesday or something right back when they're in their Baroque era, <laughs> whatever. And, um, but Craig was really into hard rock and, and he made the arrangement for the song. So he was responsible for turning it into a hard rock song. Cool. But I mean, it was, it was the same song, you know what I mean? It's the same changes, but 
play one guitar, play a hard rock guitar part, and there it is. And he made it into that. So that's why he got songwriting credit on it, because that was a great arrangement. And you were okay when he when he showed you that hey we're gonna we're gonna take this to a to a, a heart in a hard rock direction. You were okay with that at the time. Hell yes, that sounded great to me. Yeah, oh, such an amazing song. And you know the next record and the, and the little int- and the intro at the top the the whole little intro was Paul. So I gave him so I put him in there too. So cool, cool. And you so know officially the four of us wrote it. <laughs> right on. And then was there, because of the success of that song, when you guys went back into the studio to work on, on Modern Times, which came out in 1981, to me, a lot of those songs tended to have that kind of hard rock vibe, too. I mean, I guess Find Your Way Back and Mary, Free. I mean, there's, a, you know, there's a Wild Eyes. There's a lot of distorted, almost what at the time was considered heavy metal guitar on that record. Was that... Was that brought in because you saw how popular Jane became? Yeah, we had we had a uh, Ron Nevison was produced uh, those two, I believe, Modern Times and uh, Freeman Point Zero, and that was his, that was his kind of emphasis too. He was into into the pop, the pop heavy, the pop the pop hard rock, right? Kind of thing, yeah. And Ansley Dunbar on the drums. And, it was, and obviously Craig was a guitar player. Right on. Right so, on. And memories of playing with Ansley Dunbar, how, how, how was that? Oh, he, it, it was good. He was quite a drummer. Uh, he, 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 was, he, he would go for anything. Yeah. <laughs> if you're playing live, you never know where you're going to end up. <laughs> right on. Going... I was going through some of the the YouTube clips and and saw a great clip, which I guess at, at this time Jane was was maybe two years old, but you guys did it on on the the Fridays TV show with the father right. or Singucci right. or whatever his name was. Any memories of that performance, which is just a great explosive performance? Yeah, it was more, I, I was dressed very strangely. I remember <laughs> <laughs> I had. I had some some really weird sunglasses on, I believe, which I never would have worn, but they were there, so I did. <laughs> right. I don't know, but but yeah, yeah, it was a good performance. I, we, I think we just find your way back too, didn't we? I think so. Yes. Yeah. I, I just I actually just saw the the performance of Jane, but I know they usually played uh, the bands usually played two or three songs. I think on Couple Fridays. Yeah. And yeah, that that was a lot of fun. And you guys, and, and it was. Go ahead. Worked out pretty well. We were playing pretty well together at that point. And and were you tuned in to a lot of the other contemporary rock bands that were that were around at that time, say like the Foreigners and the Lover Boys and and were you was there an an effort to kind of keep up with them and and deliver music that was considered contemporary at that time? I don't know. I I think we just all all came up with stuff that we wanted to write. Evolved, you know, and yeah. and it all just kind of evolved. The times change, and you know, and it was what up to what everybody was doing. Right. I mean, on. Paul's are never going to sound. Paul's tunes are never going to sound particularly pop. 
popish or anything like that, but but he wrote some pretty good little epics that were in there. Right on. Right that on. Uh, that that probably um, um, were helped were helped by the direction that 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 was going at that point. But got a little more uh, refined, so they were pretty cool. Absolutely. So I was thinking, David. Like, I, I would I would love to just throw some songs at you. I know we spoke a lot about Jane, but I'd like to to just throw some song titles at you. And if you have any memories of of writing the songs or, or playing on the songs, I know you didn't write all these, but or just how the songs came alive uh, that you could share with us, I, I'd love to hear them. I wanted to go. I just I always just feel lucky if a, if something shows up. <laughs> my, that comes through my brain that, that seems like a good song. <laughs> so I, I don't know. They're always there, but you never know what's going to work. You can go right ahead. Sure. Well, let's, let's go way back to the Quicksilver Messenger Service. The song Dino's Ooh. Song. Any any memories of that song and how that came about? Yeah. Okay. Dean, originally, Dino Valenti was supposed to be, was theoretically going to be in this band with uh, John Cipollina and and myself and a guy and Jimmy Murray who quit before who quit before we uh, started recording and um, but and he he was Dino was well while he while we were putting a band together Quicksilver Dino was in jail so he couldn't be but he had written this song and I think he ta- showed it to me and maybe John and I don't know so. We were playing it, and Dino's song, and then we, I think, I think somehow he thought that was uh, kind of influenced by the Beatles somehow. Okay. That's what he thought, but I didn't notice that it sounded very Beatle-y, but it was kind of a cool little rock song, and and so we, and then we'd met Harry Duncan and Greg Elmore, and, and that became Quicksilver. And so that that was how that came out, and it, and um, we called it Dino's song because we didn't know what else to call it because he right. didn't tell us what the name of it was. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> another another song like so, yeah, it was fun. Another song I don't like, ever want to see you crying. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't ever want to see you blue. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was pretty pretty good hippie song, I guess. Right on, definitely. And another song that I feel may have even grown through the 70s, because I used to hear it on, even in the, the, the late 70s, it was still getting played on FM radio, Fresh Air, which I believe was released in 1970. Uh, just a such a great classic rock song. Any any memories you could share on that one? Yeah, we had gone to Hawaii. Dino was in... Dino, Gary had quit and come back with Dino in the band. And so Dino was in the band at that point, and he wrote that. We had gone to uh, Hawaii to record an album. And um, that was an adventure all by itself. But after, just, just as we were leaving, Dino came up with Fresh Air as we were leaving Hawaii to come back and we finished it at Capitol studios in, in Los Angeles. And that was one of those things that just bloom happened, you know, from beginning to end in a few days. Wow. And which are usually the good songs. <laughs> right. 
right. that just that just grow and so that and so that was Dino's and yeah that's good yeah. I'll still even sing that a lot uh, every now and then with uh, with Jefferson Starship now oh cool cool that's great now that Dino's passed away and what are you gonna do yeah right and jumping <laughs> and ahead. I haven't <laughs> Jumping ahead a number of years, the the song "Miracles" from from 1975, uh, I believe you played organ oh, yeah. and, and keys on on this song. A- any memories of that song? Yeah, there are. That that was a really nice song. If that 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 little lick at the beginning, the just happened while we were recording the basic. And I I played it and it got stuck there. So and I I don't and so I, I remember I remember that just just occurring to me as we were recording it. Even though we rehearsed it for you know a few months probably before before we actually went in and started re- recording, but it didn't show up until the night the very time when the when the tape was rolling. So cool. I remember that and. And I also, I think that was the first song that we actually had. We sweetened with uh, string arrangements, orchestral arrangements. Right. We went down to L.A. and and that was fun too. <laughs> Something Ab- different. Yeah, absolutely. And how, how about "Find Your Way Back"? Just such a classic song of the uh, Modern Times album. 1981. Any, and, any memories of that coming Craig together? Brought that in. Craig, brought, Craig brought that in. I, I guess, I don't remember who's credited with, I, whether he's credited with it by himself or whether somebody helped him. I don't remember right offhand. So that's definitely Craig Chiquiso. And you could tell that one was going to be good as soon as he brought it in. That was really a cool song. And Mickey, Mickey Thomas that could sing the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. How about No Way No Way Out from nineteen eighty four, the nuclear furniture album? Yeah, that 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 was brought in by uh by by the producer, I think. Okay. None of us wrote it. But we did make a really strange video for it. <laughs> Everybody dressed up strangely and I think I was a crazy scientist or a right. doctor and Paul was also I, I don't I never did understand what the meaning of the video was but it was pretty out there right <laughs> but but it, it was a, it was a really interesting song when you, certainly nothing like we had done before right when when you look back yes, over the, your whole catalog what 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 are some of your favorite albums Mm. It's like picking your favorite child. I don't know. Yeah. And I I loved the first two Quicksilver albums for some reason. There was some really interesting stuff. I and mean, we were just trying to figure out if if a few of our because I I still get together with with some of the guys in, that are in the Jefferson Starship and a few other people and to go out and play 
as David Freiberg's Quicksilver every now and then. Cool. And along with my wife, Linda Imperial, who I who I actually met uh, in 1985 uh, after I left Jefferson Starship. I went back and started. And Gary Duncan called me, called me, said, "I'm making this album, and I'm got this chick singer coming in." And would you want to come in and sing on on this? And I said, sure. And so I went in, and it was those, it was Linda Imperial, and wow. she was really great. We had had a good time and hit it off. And she ended up singing with Quicksilver for a while. Cool. And she still does today when we go out that and that she's still there. So, That's awesome. but in, 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 anyway, um, what were we talking about? I got. I tend to digress. Uh, we were talking about what <laughs> some of your favorite favorite albums are throughout your career, and you mentioned the the quick the first two. Oh, oh yeah, and I, I was going to say that that the guys were were starting to get together and, and, and work out playing that the little epic on the on, on the second on side two of uh, the Quicksilver's first album. It's called The Fool, which is your ultimate hippie anthem. Right. Yeah, that, that was fun. So we might be might do that again someday and and the, and the second album with the second quicksilver album which was kind of the we would just show that was written generally it was a live album but with with no with very few overdubs especially side side one i think was a 25 minute version of, of who do you love the bo diddley tune and uh which did really well but and so that was that was pretty interesting as well, but they're all every one of them pretty much has has something that's interesting on them. Do you go back and pull and them out and listen to them frequently, or or you know I've spoken with some artists and they're just like no, I, once they're done, they're done. I'd never go back and listen to them. Do you do you go back and listen to them? Occasionally, I mean, sometimes I forget what's on those. On, on the on the album, so I go back and look at him. Says, "Oh, you right. had, did I really write that?" That's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> um, but you know, I kind of like them all. Right. After the fact, if I go back and look at them, but there, you know, there's a few that I kind of wince at. I won't talk about those. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And and when you're not making music, what do you do to stay busy? Are, are there other other hobbies or or things you do in your life to to stay busy? I'm right now. I'm just just trying to keep myself in 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 road shape. I mean, I'm a, I'm going to be 80 years old this year. So wow! Congratulations. Make make sure I can still walk. I can still walk and talk. So exercise so, and stuff like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll get on the treadmill a lot. Turn into a sports a sports freak. I love the war the Golden State Warriors. So if they're playing, I'll I'll, I'll talk myself into they can't possibly win if I'm not walking on the treadmill. So I get on the treadmill. <laughs> cool, excellent. And and are there are there Jefferson Starship gigs coming up? Are there things on on the books right now that you guys are going to be playing? Yeah, we, we've got a gig in. Let's see, in Annapolis, Maryland, next week. Next week, cool. yeah, I guess that is next next Tuesday. And then we have uh, three gigs in Florida. After that, 
in Key West and trying to remember Boynton Beach and I'm trying to remember. Okay, well, Boynton we can... Beach, Bonita, Bonita Springs, and and a place at Eustis, which is kind of near Orlando. Cool. Right on. Well, we and after that, I mean, we we've, we've got gigs in Green Bay and Milwaukee and Ohio and Michigan and there's a, there's a bunch bunch of things that are booked up. It's we're filling up the the year, Excellent. kind of. You know, I guess I don't know. We'll do. I'm not sure how many, but as many as possible. Right on. Is and is we there just, a, a we website? Just came back from, we just came back from the from the Moody Blues cruise. Oh, fun. That was a, that was a fun time. The Alan Parsons project was there, and very cool. And is there a, a website or a Facebook page or somewhere that people can go to? to there is a Facebook all, page. Okay, Jefferson Starship. Excellent. It, you'll find this has a has a Facebook page and JeffersonStarship.com. Cool. You, we'll have you can find out where we are playing. Excellent. And we'll have those linked through our show Black notes. And white. Yeah, and TalkingRock.net. And uh, do, you, do you ever hear from Grace Slick anymore? Sure, I had dinner with her a couple of weeks ago, maybe um, maybe a month ago. Well, we we had a a bunch of gigs gigs in the in the Southern California area, and she's lived in Malibu. We 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 went we had dinner with her. And she's yeah. she's doing pretty good. Yeah, she, she's still she is still Grace Slick. Talking <laughs> to her is just exactly like it always is. Very interesting, and and I love her so much. She's awesome. a good girl. Well, David, thank you so much for your time on this episode of Talking Rock, and uh, we encourage everyone to get out and see the Jefferson Starship when they come through uh, your neck of the woods. And please, yeah, keep we'd us... love to see y'all. <laughs> yeah, and please keep us posted on on new music. That's very exciting. Okay, Mark, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, David. Welcome back to another edition of the Talking Rock Podcast. It's the uh, 
the little podcast that could. Uh, I, I think we can do this, but I, I don't know. It's just like we always have trouble connecting, and uh, I, I have so many other things on my plate that, that I feel like it gets neglected. So uh, anyways, I'm back, and so is Joey Haney. Joey, how are you? I'm doing great, Mark. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, good hearing with you. It's been, I think, close to three months, which is unbelievable. But we are back and in action here. We got some things to talk about. And the first order of business, I haven't, I don't think I I mentioned this to you yet, but I read, I think on Instagram or Twitter or somewhere, that the band you turned me on to that I love so dearly now, the Night Flight Orchestra, back in the studio working on a, a fourth record. Yeah, they um, apparently they're like done with it from what I've been oh, seeing really? on okay. some, of the, some of the more recent updates. Nice. Like, it's like ready to go. I think they're just ready to see if the label wants to put it out so soon. But yeah, for all intents and purposes, I believe it is done. So I I love that. When they, when they post those video updates like on their social media, it's always like on a handheld camera from the 80s. It's got an 80s yeah. time code on it and everything. They're, they're so cool the way they pull those things off. But yeah. And and to me, still one of the bands, uh, one of the, the best bands that kind of recaptures that late 70s, early 80s feel in their in their new music, um, which they just, they're so good. I cannot wait to hear what they're uh, going to deliver us this time. And you know what's interesting? The, the word night flight, of course, we're talking about the, the band, the Night Flight Orchestra, which includes members of what soil work and arch enemy, right? Yeah, yeah. But the word night flight was a show back in the day, and it's suddenly kind of getting known again because they've launched night flight, not in any way related to the night flight orchestra has has launched a streaming service app and they're going to be airing i guess a, some of their original vintage shows which included guests like you know david bowie and kiss and ozzy osbourne back in the day they're going to be airing some of those on on the ifc network um again oh, wow yeah were you familiar with the night flight tv show back in the day yeah, I, I I watched that, and there was also, I believe, the um, the tie-in show, like their sister show, Radio 1990, which okay. was the daytime show when I was growing up on USA. But I always saw them on USA, and then the night flight was on syndication in my uh, area, like later on. Like they would even show them as late as the early 90s. They were showing right. old 80 shows still in the yeah. early 90s. But yeah, love that show. That app's been going on for a while, and. You know, their Facebook page is great. They're always posting cool little images from their episodes and, you know, full length episodes. Apparently, like some, uh, there's a lot of like cult and trash cinema that you can stream on their app. So, yeah, it looks yeah. Like a really fun thing that I definitely need to get sooner than later. Well, you got to pay. Like, I don't know. I don't yeah. really do it on my computer. I do it on my TV. It, and yeah. it's like an app, you know, much like Netflix, just much different and smaller but yeah you have to subscribe to it and it's i think it's rather cheap i think it's like 2.99 or 3.99 a month and yeah. i mean my one complaint is there's just too much stuff up there it's like it's very hard to 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 get through it all and there's a lot of weird categories and stuff but if you're patient and you you flip through it you can definitely find some great stuff and it's not just vintage stuff like the other day i was watching a michael shanker concert from from 2010 there was a, a recent clutch concert on there so it's not just the vintage stuff it's uh it's a little schizophrenic but they have a lot of cool content nonetheless 
up on the Night Flight streaming TV app, which seems to be the, the future of, of how we are consuming television. Do you watch much streaming television, Joey? Uh, pretty much 100%. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not a hipster in any way, but everything I watch is on either Hulu or Netflix or what have you. So, so do you yeah. pay then for Hulu? Like, do you pay a monthly subscription to that? Yeah, yeah. It's like a little under $10 a month, you know, just like any of the other ones. I know Netflix went up a little bit, but yeah, like it's, you know, we went from like a $200 plus cable bill to like, you know, $30, $40 for all the ones that we use, which uh, I guess includes Amazon Prime. We're a WWE household, and so we got Amazon and Netflix also. So it's like under 50 bucks for everything that we really want to watch anyway. Wow. Wow. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm... If I didn't have my kids, I think I would I would do the same thing because I'm a news guy, but yeah. I've I've been been addicted now to the CBS news app, which is is basically, you know, the same style as like a MSNBC or Fox News or CNN, but it's CBS news and it's it's like totally pro streaming live 24/7 news news app TV app and it's free on Amazon Prime which blow, blows me away but the uh, the days of of wired cable are definitely numbered at this point for sure I wanted to you mentioned WWE real quick what can you tell me about this guy that my son's now obsessed with John what is it John Cena Cena John, John Cena yeah well yeah, John Cena basically he's been like the the Hulk Hogan or the Rock or Stone Cold for the last 15 years in WWE so like he's been the guy that's been carrying the company for a long time now he's like for 40 15 now, years so. yeah wow yeah. I'm so out of it yeah he's I mean he's but he's been the guy for all intents and purposes multiple world championships he's tied Ric Flair if that means anything as far as number of world championships in their company so and he's he's probably leaving for Hollywood sooner than later so I don't think anyone's ever going to be the next Dwayne Johnson but He's going to do all right, and right. Uh, I think his right. in-ring days are going to be behind him soon, but that's pretty much the scene in a nutshell right now. Oh, because my, my son and I, we were just, we were scared shitless, but we let him go. He's nine years old. This is my oldest son. So, I mean, he's a little little boy, really. We yeah. let him we let him go to freaking Madison Square Garden. With, oh, nice. With like, the Mecca. <laughs> yeah, five of his friends to see this guy wrestle, and, you know, it was like getting out of there like you know close to midnight and it was a it was just yeah, yeah. a nail biter for his parents but he yeah, was sure. so happy to uh to attend that thing wrestle wrestlemania i guess it was at madison square, square uh, no, Garden. To, no? What, what was it a, well they're built it's a they're on wrestlemania tour right now oh, I'm, WrestleMania actually, tour, I'm actually yeah. going to be at wrestlemania this sunday in new orleans so yeah over at the big uh, mercedes-benz superdome oh nice so uh uh, but yeah, it's a WrestleMania tour that he went to. But uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't worry too much. John Cena is a great role model. He's he's great with the kids. So. Yeah, I wasn't worried about him. I was just worried about like <laughs> him getting in and out of New York City on a Friday night at you yeah, know, that's crazy coming home at midnight. But he yeah. did it, and he is uh, bragging to all his friends about it, and definitely feels like the the cool kid at school. So, anyways, um, I wanted to just without going into much detail on on what you're listening to what what are some of just the the new releases if you have i don't mean to put you on the spot but maybe two or three new albums when i say new i mean you know within the last six months that you're listening to yeah yeah we stick within the quarter there i mean you know besides the new priest album i haven't caught up on a lot of the releases that i really wanted to listen to this year it's just been a weird year so far but i tell you what the live album has been really 
hitting hard with me the last few months. I mean, uh, the ghost one is incredible. And, um, you know, been, I've listened to that so many times that, you know, I got the vinyl, I got the CD and, uh, it's, and what makes, know, what's, what may see, I, I love ghost as you know, but I really haven't dove into that album all that, that heavily. What makes it so good? It just has that, you know, much like they give you that great kind of classic feel, even though they're modern, you know, of like, you know, the way you felt when you first listened to this kind of music when you were a kid. It's And it's just the perfect time for them to put out a live album as opposed to a best of, because basically that's the way live albums used to be back in the day. They were a best of of what this band had done so far. So it has that kind of Kiss Alive feel to it in a sense, because, you know, they have the three studio albums out. It's just time for a live album and you know, it's, it's basically just works as a really good best of the mix on it is incredible. Wow. You know, that, wow. that's the knock on certain live albums is the mix is kind of terrible, but I think they did a great job on this one. Whoever, whoever mixes, I don't have it in front of me, but yeah. it just comes off as a really good classic live album. And yes, I'm a biased fanboy of theirs, but I think it's definitely worth getting in something I would even get for somebody who's just getting into the band. Honestly, it works that way. Wow. Well, that, that is a good comparison to kiss alive, you know, because in a lot of ways, that was the record, the gateway record so many of us had with, with Kiss as opposed to the the first three studio records, which I, I love, but there was something a little more explosive and exciting about that that third mm-hmm. live, uh, well, their fourth album, which was the Kiss Alive yeah. you know, album. So anyways, yeah, I, I a, new, a newer, it's not all that new, I believe it came out in late 2017, a newer album I've been listening to a lot is a live record, Birmingham Tonight by Damon Johnson. And it is just a great career retrospective. I totally missed this when it came out, which is sad because I'm I'm now seeing a lot of new releases that I'm I'm not even discovering until a month, two months after they, they come out. And this is one of those, but it's, uh, you know, the guitarist of Black Star Riders and Brother Kane and Alice Cooper and yeah. Slaves to the System. And he basically covers most of those those acts on this record as well as some of his great solo material. And it is a live record, Damon Johnson, Birmingham Tonight. Great stuff, highly recommended. And, you know, you mentioned the Ghost live record and this new Damon Johnson live record. What are some of your all-time favorite live albums from from any era or or genre yeah i I think i'll go the personal favorite route because i mean of course you know you got your it's kind of like the rst and le's as i like to say uh, you know you kiss alive cheap trick of budokan you know stuff like that strangers in the night by ufo armed and dangerous by thin lizzie those are all we know how great those albums are some of my like the ones that don't get talked about as much or there's some that people don't even know exist and i have a few of those as well but uh, I got to say, man, talking about uh, versions, I think that are better than the studio versions. I got to go with the Ozzy uh, live album, the tribute to Randy Rhodes, that thing, man, like that's, that to me is the ultimate Ozzy album, you know, and as great as Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Man right. are, I, I think all those versions repl- <laughs> and for me replace the studio versions on there. They're just that good. And the performance is amazing. Randy's just cutting loose and, you know, it's still tastefully, you know, he's not like shredding it up. But he's like he throws little things on those performances that aren't on the studio versions that I just love. And every time I don't hear those versions, I feel like it's kind of almost lacking. That's how much I love the tribute album to Randy Rhodes. You like that one? I do. I do. I love it. I love it. And I will also give a special shout out to a record 
which I'm not sure it, it's aged all that well, but that uh, Speak of the Devil record with Brad Gillis and Rudy Sarzo, Tommy Aldridge on drums, and of course Ozzy on vocals, where they, they did all Sabbath covers. And yeah. I always felt that, you know, Gillis, he didn't, he didn't tune down quite as deep as Iommi did. And and he the solos weren't exactly note for note. He kind of eighties eighties them up, if you know like he kind of modernized them in that eighties sound. And right. nowadays I could see some people looking back on that album and saying, Oh, it's sacrilegious, you know, they're not doing the Sabbath songs correctly. But at the time, I gotta tell you, that album really kind of to somebody who was more a kid of the eighties than I was the seventies, I related to to those versions of that song, those songs more than I did the the original Sabbath versions at that time in my life at age you know thirteen or whatever it was. Sure, so, and it was it, to me that that album definitely has a, a real special place in my heart, and I I think that there was a lot of uh, you know Randy had just died, and I think the plan was to release a live Randy Rhodes record, but Ozzy didn't want to do it because he didn't want it to look like he was capitalizing off of Randy's death. So instead they went and they yeah. did this live show in New York and recorded it and released the, the band along with Ozzy doing all Sabbath songs, which was, was interesting. And also the relationship between him and the former Sabbath guys at that point was a little strained. So a lot of people saw it, also as kind of an F you to them, like, Hey, I can do these songs too, you know? Yeah, so exactly. It was that a, seems like a, it seems like a Sharon move, you know, because live evil was coming out or it hadn't come out. And this basically was a means to kill it off before it even had a chance. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. I don't know. You know, I've, I've never heard that theory, but it could very well be the case. Uh, another live record around, around that same era that, I never hear many people talking about, but I recently found it. I had taped it on on cassette when I was a kid off my friend, and I just loved it to death. And it was had so much power, and I, it was recorded in Japan, I believe. It was uh, Alcatraz with Engve still in the band, live sentence. And I thought that that record was so good. They did, uh, you know. Uh, Since you've been gone, by Rainbow on there, the Graham Bonnet era Rainbow song, and I I really thought that that was a great record. That I never ever hear anybody talking about that record, but it was it was great. And if if you have a chance, I I looked for it on Spotify and iTunes maybe a year ago, and it was nowhere to be found. So I, I don't know. Maybe you can only buy it on on CD or or vinyl. But if you have a chance to listen to that record. I thought it was much better than the No Parole from Rock and Roll studio version uh, album, you know, the that Engve had done with them. I thought that was a, a much better record, the live record that Alcatraz did with with Engve as opposed to the studio record. And again, it was just the songs more explosive, more energy, the live feel, you know, really great, great album. Were you, were you, do you know much about Alcatraz, Joey? Yeah, I'm actually kind of a recent convert over the last, you know, decade or so because like just Graham Bonnet anything, if I see it, I buy it now because I mean, to me now he is one of the great rock singers of all time. And it's a shame that I'm just now kind of discovering this, even though I'm glad he's actually still out there and still touring a little bit here and there. 
but yeah, Alcatraz, such a cool band that nobody talks about. So, and I, I agree with you on a lot of those live versions. And I actually have a couple of different best of Alcatrazes, like imports and stuff. And right. they seem to feel the same way because a lot of those live versions are used instead of the studio versions. So there you go. Uh, that, that makes total sense. Cool. What else, as far as live records, like classic stuff, what else do you enjoy? Ooh, um, well, you know, man, I'm going to go like really off the beaten path. There's one that's like actually like a vault release that was actually put out in the late nineties, but it was like a conglomerate from a conglomerate, uh, number of different shows, but, um, I'm a big clash fan and they've got a live album out called live from here to eternity. And that thing is so good. Like that, that band, I mean, it's hard to beat them in the studio as far as energy goes, but it, it just shows you how great they were live as well. And they don't really have much of a live reputation, at least of all time. But some of those versions on there replace the studio versions for me on there as well. Um, so it, and it works as a really decent best of with some great deep tracks on there as well. So if anybody's into the clash and hasn't heard that live album, it's so good. It kicks off with this just amazing version of complete control. And uh, it ends with a great live version of straight to hell to which uh I love this because it's those, those things that are only on live albums. You can actually hear a fan in the audience singing out of tune for a little bit. Oh, nice. During, during straight to hell and Joe Strummer stops down without missing a beat and just goes sing in tune. You bastard. Nice. <laughs> so, things like that. Um, Devo's now it can be told from the late eighties. That's one that like, I don't think most people have even heard that uh, live album because it came out like on Enigma retro, like a, that, you know, some people know that label if you're from the eighties, but uh, uh, it, that one is a really good, like best of, but uh, true to their form of being just a complete in it for the art kind of band. Uh, they rearrange a lot of these songs and make them completely different songs. Like they turn one of their really early songs into this like acoustic song, which would never, you know, you just can't hear it happening, but they do that for Jocko Homo and, there's just great live versions of, you know, songs like Whip It and Working in a Coal Mine, stuff like that. But I like a lot of those versions better than the studio versions now because that one's such a good live album. So right I wanted to throw that one in there because it made me think of that because it's kind of the same era, Devo and The Clash. But, yeah. yeah, and there's something about, like, those, you know, that era of the live record, like, back in the 70s, you know, with Kiss and Cheap Trick and... Frampton. Frampton. I mean, oh, I mean, that's the big one. But, <laughs> like my dad used to play uh, Harry Shapin, this live record that he he had. I, I'd have to look it up, which I remember. Yeah, I think it's called like story songs or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was really great, too. Uh, a big one for me was the Skinnerd one, one more from, from the road. And I never had many of the other Skinnerd records, but I had that one and I just played the hell out of it. I got that right when I was kind of like breaking away from a kiss only phase. Uh, yeah. I, somebody got me that. It was probably like, you know, that came out in like 76. I probably got in like 81. And those songs, like working for an MCA, kicked it off. And it was just explosive. Um, so much more so than the studio version, which I would go yeah. back and hear years, you know, a year or two later is Saturday night special again, heavier, more rockin', sweet home, Alabama free bird. I mean the free bird live version. It just, the, the yeah. studio version, there's, it, there's nothing, nothing there compared to the live version, yeah. but what I, I want to hear what yeah. do I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I thought that that was just an explosive record and, and Skinner at their best, really. Um, now I got to look up that, that Harry Shapin live one. Yeah. Something stories. I think you're right. But I, I loved that one, too. 
Um, yeah, that that version of working for MCA is so good that I think they've actually opened every show they've ever done since that record with working for MCA because it doesn't get any better than that for an opener for them. So, right. And who's still in the band? Cause I heard they're doing like a farewell. I, that's a band I've never seen in concert, but they're doing a, a farewell tour, right? Yeah. I'd ha- yeah. That's what I heard too. I'd have to wiki it. They, I think they're literally Is down to anybody. One guy. I think it might be one guy maybe. And he might be from, he might not even be an original member, but it's like a accepted member as I like to say. Right. Uh, that's all I know about it. So I'm not that dialed into him. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do that, uh, a random Skinner moment. I used to do that thing. Those people that paper shows, you know, for the events right. and you get like free tickets for doing it. Yeah. Uh, I, I did that for like under a year and I did it at a Skinner kid rock show and I've never seen entire Skinner set, but I got done early and I, I at least got to see them play Freebird, So I can cross that off my, uh, my list of things I've done as a rock fan. And did so. he sing it or cause I know when they originally got Skinner back together with like the newer lineup, they, he, they never used to sing that song. They used to hang Ronnie's hat on the microphone and he used to say, there's only one man who can sing this song. And then they let the yeah. crowd sing it. But so did they no, sing? No, they, were, they weren't doing, they that. were definitely, they were definitely singing it. I think that only lasted like that one go around, you know, for their comeback. But, uh, cause you just, you know, someone's got to sing it. I mean, it's, uh, that, that kind of reminds me, that reminds me of another live album, uh, Tom Petty's Pack Up the Plantations, where okay. the whole crowd just sings Breakdown, and right, he doesn't right, right. sing it at all. And then, like, they still play that occasionally on the radio, because yeah. it's such a funny version. And then, like, at the end, he goes, you guys are going to put me out of a job. I love stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, the, and that, that Harry Shapin record, which my dad had, which I used to just love listening to, Greatest Stories Live. And that was, uh, you know, it's, it's like folk rock, you know, but it, yeah, it was yeah. still an explosive record that so many great literally stories. The guy would tell stories with his, with yeah. his songs and the big epic ending with 30,000 pounds of bananas, which is um, kind of the comical number of the night, but yeah, great yeah. stuff. Mr. Tanner was on that and yeah. W O L D cats in the cradle. Of course, taxi taxi is yeah. great, great song. But yeah, so many uh, so many memories of these live records, you know, because it's 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 weird for me. Like the seventies was the golden era of the of the live record. Because when I get into the eighties, a lot of I mean, you know, a lot of those those albums, like even Live After Death. I mean, I loved Maiden so much, but I always felt like that record there was something like the tempos weren't quite as were a little off, and I don't know, like. That, that never- brings up a good point. Um, you know, Maiden is one of those bands like Rush and, uh, you know, they, they've got so many live albums and it seems like they have that one classic one, but they have so many other releases. Do you think, and, and we can get into unpopular opinions here. Do you feel like, I mean, you've probably listened to a good amount of all of these Maiden live albums. Do you think that they've actually outdone Live After Death? Uh, over the years because there's a lot to choose from at this point i don't know man i i I get i get lost with their with their live records honestly at this point um victor ruiz recently on 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 the website talkingrock.net listed his top five maiden live records which is amazing (laughs) that you could do the top five I, i always liked the ep Made in Japan, which oh, yeah, that's which, good. Yeah. which is like a, a five song EP with Deanna, which I thought was great. Yeah. But I'm looking on the site right now. Maybe we'll quickly read down what his. Uh... Sure. All right. Yeah. So yeah. on on the Talking Metal website, Victor Ruiz actually ranked all the Maiden records, 
and I had it I had it up here and I just lost it. Oh, here it is. So his his listing of the top 5 best maiden live albums is number 5 Flight 666, number 4 Maiden England, number 3 Rock and Rio, number 2 Maiden Japan, that's the one I love, and he ranks Live After Death as as number 1, which again, I I I love the artwork on that and thought side four was for whatever reason better than the first three sides. Cause that was the side they recorded in the UK, but yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. Something about the record wasn't, it was nothing close to their studio records for me, but that's just me. Yeah. But for someone like me though, that was actually kind of my kiss alive as you right. would uh, oh. say earlier. Like that was my gateway into maiden. A lot of my uh, friends had live after death and they didn't have anything else. And I think we kind of, uh, but yeah, but yeah, like since my friends didn't really have the other maiden albums, if they had this, we kind of bought into like the whole imaging and how much the cover in, in that great, you know, uh, promotional poster with the mummy Eddie shooting the sparks out of his eyes and everything. So like from, from my era, we kind of all bought into that. And so live after death is a very important album for a lot of me, uh, for me and a lot of my friends. So I think that's, that does carry it quite a bit. I mean, we could definitely argue some technical points about it and maybe some of the mixing, but uh, it's one of those things that's just always going to be an important album. So, Absolutely. you know, I totally get it, but like, yeah, like we're talking about, um, one that gets brought up a lot is like a classic live album, but it gets dumped on a lot is Song Remains the Same by Zeppelin. I love that one. I love that. Because you were just talking about Madison Square Garden. That's where it was recorded. And, you know, some of the band is like disowned Song Remains the Same. And then the, even over the last few years, they put out that How the West Was One set almost as a way to like replace it in their eyes. Yeah. And, you know, and even back in the day that, you know, they, it took them a while to release it. It was, it was many years after they recorded it by the time they finally got around to releasing that. And, it's rumored, like a lot of these records, that a lot of parts were replaced, especially Robert's vocals. And that's why when you watch the movie, there's a lot of wide shots. There's a lot of shots where his hands are in front of his mouth. He can't really see the sink. And it's been <laughs> been rumored that a lot of that vocal was replaced. Still a great record, though. Yeah, um yeah, uh, Van Halen Live right here right now is like the one that like is publicly known now that it was all done in the studio, you know, after the fact. Because yeah, well, like, Unleashed the in the East, another record that I love by Priest. You know, a lot of, yeah. a lot of people say that was more of a studio cre- creation too. Yeah, Frampton is one hundred percent studio from what I hear. Uh, yeah, I've heard yeah. from a lot of different people over the years. Yeah, I'm just ruining the magic here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like no, but I still love the live album. I just. You know, even like they talk about, you know, how much Kiss Alive was kind of beefed up a little bit here and there. And, and you know, some of the, some albums don't even use the exact crowd from the same night, you know. But, yeah. you know, I think it's just it's creating the the movie in your head. And I think that there's something viable to that. I think it I can definitely defend it as a piece of art. And, uh, you know, it's sad that that era has kind of come and gone. I think really just because the releases just didn't have the same quality and. You know, I you hear people just say, "Oh, I hate live albums." Well, it's because you didn't grow up with good live albums. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. like the bands that were happening over the last twenty, thirty years. Either their live album is terrible, or they didn't even bother to put one out when they could have maybe put a good uh, product out. Who knows? True. Well said, Joey. We're gonna wrap it there. Where's the best place people can uh, connect with you online? Um, you can just uh, look for Rock Strikes Ten on uh, just spell out T E N. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter. And that's Joey's and, podcast, by the way, guys. If you don't already know, 
Yeah, I'll be playing a couple of tracks from the uh, the some of the newer live albums. I'm doing an odds and ends episode this week, so I'll be playing something off the new Ghost. I'll be playing something off that new awesome John Karabi live album where he plays the entire Motley Crue '94 album, top to bottom. Right, right. That's another release to definitely check out. Now, is really that acoustic? Thing. What is it? That's no, it's full. It's full, full electric. Okay. I mean, wow. Yeah, okay. uh, and he even throws in as a bonus uh, my favorite outtake from that session, which is on called Ten Thousand Miles Away." And uh, they do that as an encore piece, uh, but just cool. a really cool live album. It was recorded out in Tennessee where he lives. And, uh, you know, if you're a fan of that album like I am, uh, definitely check that one out. So The the Motley Crue self-titled album, which was, what, 94, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm sorry. I was plugging my show. But, yeah, Rock Strikes 10. Yeah. You guys know where to find me. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank oh, you yeah, for the support, definitely. Mark. Great show. And <laughs> until next time, guys, thanks for listening to the Talking Rock podcast. Visit TalkingRock.net. You can support what we do here by using our Amazon links. There's also a Patreon page, which is, I think, listed under Talking Metal, but that's where you can support everything I do with a monthly pledge. We just had a new new uh, pledge Patreon guy join us today. Is David Gray. Big shout-out to you, David. Thanks for your support. And uh, that'll do it. Joey, until next time. See you guys next time. Thanks, Mark.
Hey, it's Mark Striegel. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Rock Podcast. We are back. Joey Haney in the house. How are you, Joey? I'm good, Mark. How about yourself? Good. I was just telling you before we started the show, I just got back from M3 less than a week ago and just have a ton of material that we're going to be throwing up on YouTube and on Talking Metal on the Talking Metal podcast and TalkingRock.net, so I hope everyone tunes in for that. And have you ever been to the M3 Fest, uh, Joey? No, but that's definitely one of those destination festivals in the state that I would make a point to go to if I had the means to, because, I mean, it it looked awesome this year. And i got to ask you real quick, I mean, I'm sure you'll talk about this on Talking Metal, but I've been busy all week and I haven't seen the updates from M3. Did you finally get to see Loudness? No. No, they they canceled. They canceled. (laughs) Yeah, I oh, will say man. this, which I haven't addressed public, publicly yet. You know, they, they downsized to uh, one stage, and <clears throat> L.A. Guns had hinted at that they were dropped from the bill because of this. And loudness, they blamed it on immigration problems again, but, you know, I, I, you had to kind of wonder if it, it may had to also have had to do with the fact that they were planning on two stages and they had to go to one. This had nothing to do with ticket sales, the, the, the one stage. What happened was the roof collapsed on the, the main pavilion. They rebuilt it uh, in time for M3. So the main pavilion was up and running. But that second stage, which is like out in the forest, all the construction trucks, like there were cranes and like it was just a, a big old dirty mess over there and that's why there was no second stage this year because of construction uh ticket sales seemed real good to me Uh, it was a a great event and even without that second stage they had things moving pretty quick on the main stage so there was very little time without without a band playing and just a great festival i can't wait for for next year you should you and nola should definitely make the track it'd be great to see you guys there yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that we've started talking about already. So, thank cool. you. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Man. So, by the way, b- before we get into our topic here today, Joey can be heard on the Rock Strikes 10 podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter. He's on Facebook and all that stuff. Joey, are you going to the Rock and Pod Expo, the second one this year? Yeah, everything is looking good that we'll be there again this year. All the CNJ uh, shows tentatively going to be there. Rock Strikes 10, the Synaptic Wrestling House Show, and Last Theater on the left should hopefully all be represented at this year's Rock and Pod Expo. If you go and donate to the cause, uh, put my name under there, say I sent you, make me look good. Cool, absolutely. And you guys are going to have Vinnie Vincent there, who seems to be just about everywhere after not being anywhere for 20 years uh, yeah. I, I just he's interviews all over the place if you got a, a autograph signing session festival what do you call it like a convention he will be there it sure. seems like he's showing up to all of them it's 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 mind-blowing after just being gone for so long suddenly he is absolutely everywhere yeah, um, I mean, nuts. even uh, your episode, your interview with him was great, and I'm not just saying that. Uh, are you amazed about how verbose he is? You know, or is he one of those guys you think he's just been bottled up for so long? It's like, here we go. You know, so. um, what do you mean by verbose? Like, like, as far as like, I mean, like you ask him a question, and he will give you like a nice, solid ten minute answer, and then after about ten minutes, realize, oh, I'm not being interviewed anymore. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. He, that interview, you know, that I did with him was, was wild because I, I, I don't know if I believe half the stuff he told me, you know, but, yeah. but, uh, yeah. He's selling was, that book pretty hard. I like, I mean, that book's going to be, if it's everything he says, it's going to be, it's going to be a great read, of course. Do you, you think know? he's even started the book? I mean, honestly, no. Uh, no. no. <laughs> do you think he can still shred? No. Do you think he can still, uh, that he's going to do this acoustic tour followed by the shred tour? No, no, no. I, I don't, I don't buy any of the stuff that he, he's throwing out there. I, I hope he proves me wrong, but I, I think, I think he's just, uh, a lot of talk honestly let's 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 see the goods let's uh you know they say you should never go out and announce what you're gonna do before you do it because it just you're just setting yourself up to to look bad but uh maybe maybe he'll come through according to the interview i did with him he's got a book on the way he's got new music on the way he's got a, a first an acoustic storytellers style tour followed by the shred tour I don't. I don't know. It seems like uh, he's got a lot on his plate, but well, let him, gonna, let him prove me wrong. Yeah, I mean, uh, this ties in very well to our topic this week, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Kiss, one of my favorite bands, one of your favorite bands. We uh, we met up out in Las Vegas back in, I guess that was what 2014 for the the Kiss, Kiss residency, which that was so much fun, man. I had such a good time at, at, I saw them twice when I was out there, but anyways, we're talking about Kiss, the future of Kiss. What has Paul Stanley been saying? Well, there was an interview with him the other day. I wish I could give credit and I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me, but the quote was, or the clickbait quote, if you will, is, uh, Paul Stanley's like, we're going out next year and it's going to be our biggest tour ever. And I know that that's a cliche that all bands say, or at least bands like Kiss would say, or you know the like. But right. you know, for a band that has done these kind of grandiose tours over the years, you know, all the way from just like the original Destroyer tour where they build a whole new set to, you know, like the Tank on the Creatures and Lick It Up tour, you know, the reunion tour, the convention tour, even the Vegas residency. This, these are big things. That, was that you the know, Lick It Up tour? Or was that the that was the Creatures of the Night tour, right? Both Creatures and Lick It Up had the tank, had the tank? With, okay. with, and with, with and without makeup, respectively. So, um, so like I got to thinking, like I would hope that if you know, and they're not even saying that this is it, but you know, there was that little story that leaked out that they had. Uh, you trademarked. know, yeah, the trademark for End like the road or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, for a band that, you know, has had its critics over, the, especially during this era of the band, except when it comes to certain things. But the, the tours, you know, the, the regular tours are the things that have gotten kind of the most flack in the, you know, hardcore fandom. And I know like when you had Eric Singer on Talking Metal, He's like, you know, they don't play those shows really for hardcore fans. It's for people maybe that have never seen them before. And that's why the set lists are the way they are. So what I'm thinking is they have a really great opportunity here to really get both ends of the spectrum as far as a fan base goes. Your Fairweathers versus your hardcores. And I think the, the way I would start it is, and this is kind of something I wanted them to do when they did the Vegas residency. You know, basically pay tribute to the entire history, if you will, the entire history, the discography. Uh, and, you know, I thought they're doing near 20 shows in Vegas. You know, it would be cool if they could pick each different night to spotlight a different album in the band's catalog. Cause even the albums they quote unquote hate, 
they can at least realistically pull out two or three songs minimum from yeah, and they, of any of those albums. they didn't really do that in Vegas, but they, in their defense, on those those Kiss cruises, they do do that, right? Exactly. So I'm thinking like take all the best elements out of everything you've ever done through your career. And then you can get close to having what could be potentially your greatest tour ever. I don't think I'm wrong or unfair in, in you know, assessing these things in my head as far as like, let's take all the great things from all these different cool things that you have done. And okay, let's say, I would think this is going to be a big undertaking my theory here, but I think if you keep it limited to, you know, I guess the, the big major cities, let's say 20 major cities is what I've got here, you know, for the big farewell. And, you know, the convention tour, that's one of those tours where if you went to it, like that's the best thing you might've ever done unless you went to on the cruise because the it, convention not, tour back in the nineties. Yeah. The 96, 90, yeah. The 95, 95, 95, right. Which was the catalyst for the reunion. So a lot of great things happened because of that. So, you know, there's a, there's a few bands out there, you know, national touring bands that are doing a lot of two nighters, you know, in like kind of smaller esque places. Like there's a new shed that opened up about 10 miles from where I live. And there's a lot of major bands like your Nine Inch Nails and stuff like that. They're doing two nights there, you know, stuff like that. So I'm thinking each major city you play, you do two nights, you know, a piece, you know, in a row. And then the first night, you know, I think can almost be kind of like a pseudo convention where it's it's Kiss, but it's like, you know, basically the, the acoustic layout. And also not only do you have the current members of kiss there, but since because of what Gene has been doing with his vault appearances, he's brought ACE out, he's brought Vinny out. He's even got Peter out. Like you mentioned before on your show. And I thought yeah. about that too. The only one absent from this, which is weird is Paul. Yeah. But he will be you know, doing I'm, the Vegas one, right? Yeah. That that's, that's what we hear. Along you with, know, so. I think Robert Fleischman will be at that same, same one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's really cool. I'm sorry. My cat's outside. I'm oh, sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> Tried to feed her before this, you know, that kind of oh, thing. That's right. Yeah. Just no, no worries. Just keep going. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and, and, you know, people even like Bruce Kulick, Tommy Thayer, you know, everybody that's in the quote unquote family, you know, can be involved in this first night. So it's basically like a glorified convention, like, you know, in a shed place like this. And a lot of these newer buildings have like smaller places, you know, like these little convention halls within their arenas, you know, there's enough places around the country where you can find a place like this, or maybe a place next door to do this at. But I say that's where it's at is like, do the first night convention style, even maybe do like a very controlled Q and a, which is what they would want. And then, you know, even in each major city, you're focusing on a different album, maybe, or at least having a symposium. And I even had this envisioned, you know, with like you and John, like even like hosting this thing and <laughs> and, you know, talking and going through the entire history of the band. And to well, which we probably have a better chance than than Eddie Trunk does. I, I say that I, much, although I kind of doubt he'll, he'll pick us to host it. Yeah, but I mean, that would be really cool, especially if you went through the entire history of the band and they're already there. They've got their guitars with them and maybe they'll, you know, pluck out a few songs that, of course, they rehearsed in advance. And that's one of the, that's why you, you know, you get the hardcore fans right there. And then, of course, the second night you have the big whatever the ultimate live stage show of this current lineup of Kiss currently. And with that, you know, you, you can also lock up about like five volumes of the Kissology DVD box set. I know I'm all over the place here, but 
basically right. by focusing on a different album almost in each different show you can uh, like can ha- have like a compilation that's real hardcore you know going through the entire catalog and the way you fill in the blanks and this was the other thing i was getting at on the oh, second you've given this a lot of thought well, I mean, it just it, you, you do your best thinking in the shower, you know. Right, right, right. It's over the last uh, day or so. So on the second night, where you have your big show, you have two openers. Your your first uh, your first act out is the Kulik Brothers, which of course you know has been talked about on Talking Metal how you know huge that thing was what they did on the cruise, and they're going to be there again this year, where they're playing super deep cuts, pretty much for Bruce's era, but also stuff that Bob has played on over right. the years. And then your second opener, Ace Fraley. So basically you can get through like the whole history where you almost could potentially hear every song off of each individual record in the different cities. And you have all these different acts that kind of fill in the blanks. I love that idea. I mean, you know, the convention style thing, the Q&A, who knows? It sounds like that would be a lot of work for them. And I don't know if they would go for that i love the idea i just i just realistically i don't know that they would would do that however a tour with that you're that you're laying down here with like the kulik brothers and and then then ace playing all on the same bill i mean you know we're gonna go see lamb of god and anthrax and slayer on the testament uh, who behemoth it's like a big list we're going to this in in a couple weeks yeah i could see kiss doing that i think that's a great idea kiss out on the road with with members of the kiss family playing also on that same bill i I think that would be an absolutely incredible night i mean just those three right there the kulik brothers ace and kiss i mean wow i would pay big money to see that numerous times there you go right then and there see i got you buying a ticket already because i just i thought about the Kulik brothers set list and i thought about what ace could do to contribute to filling in the blanks of the history you know and i just i just obviously they're everybody's on speaking terms now they're at least on speaking in business terms it's like paul's kind of the x factor in this you know <laughs> I think I think Paul would go for what 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 I just said the Kulik brothers and and Ace on the same yeah. bill yeah I don't think Paul's going to go for Vinny playing I don't think Vinny no. can play personally but right. it, even if he could if he proves me wrong Paul's not going to go for that I know for a fact Eric and Paul both dislike Vinny um, so I kind of doubt that that Vinny Vincent would be involved in in any shape or form. Yeah. Even if he was physically able to be involved, if he could play the guitar, which again, I guess he's just holding that big shred uh, shred moment back for for all of us to uh, to experience uh, sometime down the road. But if you know, I don't think Vinny. I mean, who else? Peter's not going to do it. I mean, that was just an awkward thing where Peter showed up at the Gene Simmons Vault thing and said, "Hi, how are you?" and then left. You know, it was yeah, that yeah, was the weirdest thing I've, I've seen. But, yeah, because in a, in a perfect world, like, you know, they do this, like, acoustic thing to where Vinny can still play with them because of the acoustic factor. Peter would play, like, percussion, you know, because Eric Singer, obviously, main drumming, you know. So, and you have, like, four guitar players and a bass player. And that's, like I said, that, that's the thing I had pitched for night one. I'm sure right. that won't happen. 
But I just thought it'd be a neat thing to do because you're basically taking elements of the convention and the cruise and putting it on the road. And that's the one of the ultimate things they really could do as far as like greatest tour ever. But I still think the night two idea I had, right. that's super money also. Just do that. And like I said, every night, play, you know, focus on the first Kiss album, then focus on Hotter Than Hell. Between those three acts, you could really get a lot of things done as far as like, wow, you know, depending on what city you're in, you're going to hear something that the next city won't. And, you know, just record it all, film it all. You got releases down the road. They'll be able to milk that for a long time. And I think that's the way you go out. And it, it, it could be such a potentially great tour that people could do that thing that you would never have believed. Even the most cynical of, you know, quote unquote fans, they will actually miss them if they do something like this. Right. And who else could they get? I mean, Kulik Brothers, Ace, you know, Vinny is still alive. You know, I, I doubt they would bring him on. But but let's let's say, you know, he's he's a possibility for this final farewell tour. Of course, Kiss headlining. Like who else who else would be a good addition to that lineup i mean there's a lot of good bands we could speculate on you know like your dead daisies and stuff like that but i right. think keeping it as like a kiss night All kiss I think, yeah i think really that's the way to go i mean you know it'd be nice to give like a new band the rub but you know that'd be like a passing the torch thing if you're going to do that just have one opening band and be like the band that you're passing the torch to but i don't see anybody getting that you know, just because of the way the climate is, you really have to dig deep for your next kiss. And who knows where they are? They could be in Norway and they'll probably never get signed, you know, right, something like that. Right. But I say a night with Kiss and the Kiss family. And, you know, all, that way, all those people, like even like Brent Fitz and people like that, and maybe even Loretta Caravello could be there, you know, if you're maybe that's your host. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, just make it about the entire thing and that's that it's such a big undertaking you would have to limit it to like 10 to 20 major cities you know and that's the farewell tour yeah. and you know do one a week do one show a week that way you know you're really jazzed up for each show i don't know it's a possibility yeah yeah and i i think when you add the kulik brothers and ace to the bill that's that's an easy way especially with the Kulik brothers that you're going to get some of those deep cuts played for the fans. And, you know, I don't foresee kiss doing a final tour and pulling out cuts. Like, you know, they're not going to play Mr. Speed or stuff like that. You know, they're not going to do any, no. any deep cuts in my opinion, because I, I, I do, you know, somewhat agree even though I want to hear those those deeper cuts, I do somewhat agree with the Paul Stanley Eric Singer stance and and line that you know the casual fans don't want to don't want to hear that. And I know that I mean like my brother in law and sister in law saw Kiss when they played Fort Wayne, Indiana, and all they have is the greatest hits. You know they don't they sure don't, you know and they loved the concert. And sure they probably know Detroit Rock City and lick it up and and rock and roll all night. And stuff like that, but there was probably a lot of songs they didn't know even on that tour, you know. So it's a, I get it, I get it. I, I, however, I do think that it it would be great. I would pay extra money to go see a theater tour of Kiss, where maybe okay. it's stripped down. You know, maybe they don't, yeah. maybe they don't have the explosions and stuff, but they pull out those deep cuts. You know, I, I would love that. 
and and they've done they've done a handful of state shows where they do like casino big casinos or even right. like the bat ron keel's place where they they do acoustic and they go real deep but like you know even like the biggest production they could put together like the vegas one for instance you had to basically keep the same set list for production uh, reasons yeah. and i and i understand that right there could be a designated place where it's kind of a bare bones part of like maybe the middle of the set or you know maybe a third of the way through and then you hit you know i'm like i said Ace's band could definitely do Mr. Speed. I mean, uh, Scott Coogan could definitely do Mr. Speed, and Ace can play that brilliant solo from it. You know, things like that. Have them do that, and they have those worked up. And then Kiss plays like the most prominent songs from Rock and Roll Over that night. Right. What if you know, Gene like, came out with his solo band and and played yeah. like on that bill? You know, even opened the night or something with. Or through the first and, night. Yeah, he's played Charisma and, and like yeah. some of the songs he's been featuring with his solo band. Even if it was a short, like five song set or something, that would be real cool. Yeah, or even do like the two nights, the first night you have Gene Simmons' band and then maybe Paul can bring back his solo thing. Because yeah. that solo tour was amazing. I mean, I never got to see that because it didn't play my town. But like you go watch that DVD, it's like that's a, that's an amazing set list. Everybody gets their rocks off. And then you all come together at the end of night too and do it. I mean that that right right there. That's even better idea than I had from the get go. Yeah, absolutely great great idea. And I'm definitely curious to see where this goes. I, so this Paul Stanley interview was this like a sit down interview or, or was it like a red carpet thing? Uh, you know, I, I shit man, I don't even know. Yeah, oh, that's cool. I because I saw this one red carpet thing where he mentioned. They said they asked him how uh, how he keeps his hair looking so good. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, some red carpet thing. Like my friend Ian sent it to me, and they they asked him two questions with his wife, and they asked him two questions. They're like, "So what's going on?" They said, first, how do you keep your hair looking so good?" And he was like, "Oh, shampoo and conditioner," as opposed to the truth, which is you know plugs and weaves. But um, right. and then they said, "So what's what's happening for you in the future?" He said, "Well, Kiss has a big." Uh, or has a big tour plan for 2019 or something. And that was it. It was just like a red carpet thing. Mm. Um, hmm. So, yeah. So, so it does seem like 2019 will be a very big year for us kiss fans. And if they do do this farewell thing, I would think like Motley Crue, they're probably going to drag it out. I, I don't, I can't foresee kiss doing like a, you know, 15 to 20 day run and then that's it i would think it's gonna be it's gonna be big i would think they're gonna you know they'll go out they'll do arenas and come back around do the outdoor stuff in the summer and sure i mean do the do the whole world as you know hey we're going on a farewell tour but like i still say do the big big thing you know for the you know for the sorry i can't fucking talk today it was like some stupid sports analogy I was looking for. I'm sorry. Right. No, that's cool. Um, what do you call that? Like the not the not the home run, but the oh final stretch. Yeah. yeah. Fucking hell. Sorry. I'm so sorry about that's that. Right. You know, like tour the whole world. You know, festivals, overseas things. You know, every country. Of course, Australia. They've got to get their love because they're massive, great supporters yeah. of Kiss. You know, all over the U.S., even the small cities, you know, you can stretch that out over two years. Fine. Granted, do that and then do the final stretch there at the end where you really go hard 
and finish with a bang. I think that's that ha- that just has to be the way to go for a band like Kiss that has always made their bones and bragged basically about we did things that no other band was willing to do. Well, now you're at the point where, and I'm huge fan, you know, unabashed fan. I never fell off. Kiss Army, Kiss Navy, support the current lineup, the whole thing. You go, you see a lot of these other bands, not just modern bands. I mean, of course, you got like Pink and Rihanna and Gaga who have like huge stage shows now, multi million dollar stage shows, and even Roger Waters. How much did that thing cost? Yeah. You know, that thing is huge looking. That's probably the most acclaimed too, stage. Yeah. Yeah, and even the Motley one, that thing cost at least two, two to three mil to put together, just the stage alone. Yeah. You know, so like they've kind of honestly been outdone by a lot of these bands over the last few years, and they're not the standard bearer anymore. They're the innovators for sure, them and Alice, but they need to reclaim the standard bearer. Right. So I wonder really how how a how a final Kiss tour would do as opposed to like that final Motley Crue tour because. Let's face it, Motley Crue sold more records. They had less records, but this is, I'm just riffing here. I, had, I haven't checked this, but I'm fairly certain they've probably, they probably sold more records than Kiss by a little bit. No, so, no, I, I think the to- I think Kiss hasn't beat really? as far as total album sales and worldwide, especially. And well, I know Guns N' Roses has sold more than Kiss. Uh, they yeah, barely I, have any records. Like I remember, yeah, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, and who knows? Maybe, maybe that hundred million uh, total that they've always fed me over the years, you know, is you know, is a lie or at least it's deceptive. I don't know, but you know, and Molly definitely has a number one album. I don't think Kiss ever. I don't know if Kiss ever had a number one album. I think right. number two is the closest they got with Sonic Boom, but you know, it's. They, like I said, they just and like I said, Motley is a wayward son of Kiss, and that stage that they had out for their farewell tour outdid what I saw Kiss do that year. So right. they got to re. The only way they can go out and really go out on a good note is to reclaim their legacy and do a big blowout towards the end. I mean, it's the only way it'll work, and that that arena tour needs to have every great aspect of their, and maybe even do what Rush did. You know, right. like Rush recreated. You know, spoiler, I'm sorry if you haven't seen this, it was amazing, but like the last Rush tour where they basically recreated every classic stage they've had <laughs> on right. all their tours, and they even went backwards chronologically. I don't know if Kiss would do that. I don't know if yeah. they would go it all says the way Motley from, like, has, has, Sorry to interrupt. On Wiki, yeah. According to Wikipedia, Motley has sold over 100 million records worldwide. Kiss wow. has sold over 75 million records wow. worldwide. I would have never guessed that. And I like Motley, but I would have never guessed that. Wow. Yeah. To me, Motley is a bigger band. That's just me. Oh. But yeah, yeah. I mean, just well, back in the heyday, I know you're younger than than, sure. than me, but but I mean, Motley in the mid to late 80s, I mean, they they were just enormous, you know? Oh, uh, I, was a, I was an MTV kid, so Motley yeah. definitely had the bigger presence over Kiss, especially at that time. And yeah. that, that's a big band for me. I'm a, I'm a massive Motley fan. For sure, but yeah, the, that that number surprises me. But hey, good for them! Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, to me, Motley doesn't have the hardcore fans that Kiss has, but they yeah. have way more casual fans than Kiss has. That's just my that's yeah. just my take on it. But yeah. but yeah, regardless, a final Kiss yeah. tour is going to do amazing for sure. And sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your your no, rush no. rant there. Yeah, no, because like like I said, Rush, they recreated their stages. So what I was getting at is like figure out a way to incorporate all of it, the candelabras all the way to the tank, 
those uh, alive two, you know, like stairs, you know, just take all the great elements of your most acclaimed tours. Maybe not the Statue of Liberty. I'd love to see the Sphinx, but that'll never happen again. <laughs> but yeah, you know, just things like that that are and yeah, you can pull the, the up, fans and they would still, like them. And I mean, yeah. the Rush comparison is good because it's like Rush is is interesting. Like I I, I think they're similar. To the Ki- the Rush fan base is similar to the Kiss fan base in that they they are diehards, you know. Yeah, um, and, more and they're yeah, they're exactly. That's a great word for it. And I I do think that they are going to appreciate that stroll down memory lane with stuff like that for sure. Yeah. And I mean, of course the beautiful thing about the rush tour is that we didn't know we were seeing the farewell tour and in the back of their minds, I'm sure they knew, but they weren't going to tell us cause they're just not that band. They're like the, they're the antithesis of kiss in some ways, but in some ways they're a lot alike, you know, they're, they're all friends and stuff, but that, that, that shows you the difference in that band when kiss is going to go out and it's it, you're going to know that they're on their farewell tour, you know, like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they're not gonna they're not gonna be nonchalant about it for sure so yeah and they'll do i'm i'm curious the one thing that pissed me off about the motley crew thing is they they did the farewell tour and then they were like oh and there's a whole second leg oh there's a third leg to the farewell tour it just yeah. kept going and going yeah. and going I, I felt like motley pushed it a little bit much with their their farewell tour and yeah. it sold played, well at the great at the beginning but there yeah. were there were um uh, what do you call it? Yeah, there were there yeah. were areas uh, and and locations and markets where I guess markets is the word I'm looking for where towards towards that third leg of that farewell tour tickets were not selling what they should have been. You know, yeah, they, what, they played they played Dallas three times and yeah. you know I even I even bought the end you know the Blu-ray and CD set and that forum show man they could have done themselves right by actually sweetening it up because I don't think they did a lot of sweetening on it because. It, they don't sound all that great, especially yeah. Vince. I mean, I know that's the knock on them, but I saw them in Shreveport, Louisiana on that farewell tour. We went to like a minor league hockey arena to see it, and it was awesome. Vince sounded great. And I'm just like saying, that's they should have pro shot every show just in case because I know it's, it's kind of like Song Remains the Same. You know, they wanted the garden because that's the place. Well, Motley needed to be at the forum for that last show, and I get it. But that was not anywhere close to the performance I saw, and I saw that tour early. They should have right. used, used one of those, honestly. But, yeah, or at least did what Zeppelin did with "Song Remains the Same," and that's re-record everything. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even people still knock that performance here and there. Uh, you know, I know that, but uh, I know, love I, that album. The song remains the I, same. I, it's a great record. Hey, I do too. But yeah, like the band doesn't seem to like it that much. Or like we no, were tired, and yeah. it's the end of the tour, and blah, blah, blah. you know. So that's what happens. You're at the end of the tour, and you're tired. I get it. So. All right. Well, listen, let's, let's, let's kill it there. Sure. And we'd love to hear your opinions, guys, uh, in the, the comment section here on TalkingRock.net. Let us know what you think is going to go down with KISS in 2019. Check out Joey on the Rock Strikes 10 podcast and at the Rock and Pod Expo 2, August 25th, right in... Um, Nashville. In Nashville, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be there this year. It's yeah, just, you're, you're going to be tough, sorely missed. You're, yeah, it's a tough weekend for me. It was last year, honestly, because yeah. it's it's my son's birthday weekend. And uh, if if that's going to be the weekend, the Rock and Pod Expo happens every year. I'm not going to be able to make it every year. I will I will come sometime, but it's just that's a tough weekend, and we already have a bunch of family plans uh, going on that weekend. So I'll, I'll make <laughs> sure I'll, I'll 
I'll make some calls on your behalf. Yeah, for, uh, please keep give me the blow by blow. Let me know what's going on. Is Michael Butler coming back? Um, I'm sure if the money's right, yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, good for him. I mean, if he's uh, they're they're gonna pay him to be there. It's like I flew out there. I spent hundreds of yeah. dollars getting there last year. Yeah, I, I took. I'm, I mean, I, I know I'm. You know, I'm a, he, spe- I'm a spec on this thing, but I take zero dollars for doing this. I, I love Michael Butler, and I always yeah. praise him, and love his show. But is he really that big of a star that they they fly him in? And I mean, I don't know. Seems- well, they did the first year. I mean, they got they definitely got. I don't know if they got you know the content they got and the controversy and all the fallout and everything. I wonder if that translated to the money spent. I'm I'm always curious about those things. That's not a knock. That's just me being curious right so, right yeah yeah but we're talking like about you, michael butler from the great rock and roll geek show which is a yes. podcast that's been along yeah i mean it's the original man it's one of not only one of the first music podcasts it's one of the first podcasts period yeah. and it's still going and it's still great and everyone should check out michael butler's rock and roll geek show i love that show and it's like one of those things like you know, sometimes I'll, I'll not listen for six to eight months and then I come back and it's always such a great feeling when I, when I come back to it because it's, it's been a part of my life since 2005 at least, you know? So yeah, yeah the rock and roll geek show by Michael Butler. I am Mark Striegel. Check me out on the talking metal podcast. You're listening to talking rock right now. You're listening to Joey Haney. He has his own podcast, too, uh, Rock Strikes 10. It's a great show. And we will check you guys out next time right here on the Talking Rock Podcast. Thanks, Joey. Thank you. Thank you.